Let's go down to ringside. The following podcast is scheduled for one episode and is our vantage point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. Outside, we couldn't see it from our vantage point. And welcome to our Vantage Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. Thank you guys for being with us here for episode number 163. It is Monday, February the 3rd, 2020. Hope you had a nice Groundhog's Day. I'm Joe Morata. That's Michael Quinn. How you doing there, Michael? Howdy, Michael, it's February. Yes, it is. Your favorite month. Second month where they decide to add or subtract a day, depending on the year. Got an extra day this year. It's It's a leap year. It's also even with the extra day, it's like shorter somehow. It's still a shorter month. Uh, But we're going to leap into some retro wrestling here. Ho, ho. And (laughs) before we get to any of that, I want you to follow us on Twitter if you don't yet, because we have a lot of video clips there. There's a lot of things going on. A lot of happy clips from wrestling's past, Michael. Yes, the Royal Rumble Yeah, we were covering tons of those. Covering it. Covered. We we covered it. You know, that all those rumbles from like 50 years ago or whatever they are. And we'll be covering a lot of WrestleMania moments, you know, in the upcoming months here because we have a long ass build to WrestleMania. It starts like now. So long, like the extra month of build, you know, yeah, like, of March. Yeah. Because <laughs> WrestleMania like, is early. Are we April. gonna do a pay-per-view in March? Maybe. <laughs> We're never sure. <laughs> yeah, you never really know. Uh, but if you do have a Twitter, you can follow us there at OVP Podcast. Also, you can email us at OVP Podcast at gmail.com. That is OVP Podcast at gmail.com. But Quinn, there is a really good place to talk to you and me and hundreds of other retro wrestling fanatics, and that's over on Facebook. Yeah, Facebook.com slash March. It's right. a, it's a, it's a page where stuff actually happens in March. Right, of course. It doesn't, maybe it will happen March 31st, not sure, but we'll things see. will happen. But anyway, you go over to Facebook slash March right. and um, you type in the search bar. They got the search bar. It's amazing technology. You type our vantage point dash retro wrestling podcast in there, right? Yes. And then bing, bang, boom, tubes, gore, kaflui. Right. Of, uh-huh. of course. Operators are standing by. They're always. <laughs> and, and they let you in after you hit the join button. And that's it. Yep. You're in. You can do all the stuff, post the giffies, the jiffies. Say hi to Chuck Mess. Pictures, talk about Say by the Bell. Anything, anything no, really. No, no more of that. No, no, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No more? No, you can talk about Say by the Bell if you want to, but the whole point of the group, folks, is to have a positive environment where you can talk about the good and the bad of retro wrestling. You can sprinkle in a little current, and I guess if you're Quinn lately, sprinkle in a little Say by the Bell. It's a great program. <laughs> Other retro pop culture ideologies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yes, over on Facebook, we try to just have one rule, which is basically... Don't be a dingus. Yeah, don't just be a don't, dingus. Just be nice. Don't be trash. Don't be <laughs> like Zach Morris. <laughs> yeah, don't be trash like Zach Morris. But really, Facebook, uh, search for our vantage point. Fun time there. We'll let you in the group. And a little bit later in the show, we'll have some detailed info on our Patreon. We do this to give back to you guys for supporting us. We have a lot of great content there coming out this month for February. It'll be our WrestleMania 5 review. So uh, patreon.com slash OVP podcast. More info a little bit later on in the show. But Quinn, for this season, we're doing something a little bit different. We are talking about either wrestlers or events or aspects of wrestling's past Mm -hmm. that have influenced what we have today. Yes. 
influencers, if you will. Influencers, it's right. It's kind of like social media. Yeah, yeah, that's the whole idea, you know, right? You know, those people. <laughs> yeah. uh, last week, we talked about noted social media influencer Billy Graham. Yes, uh, <laughs> he, he's all over it. Yeah. Uh, you know, everyone really um, listens to when yeah. when he uses um, a certain salad product, uh, it goes viral, really. I like vinaigrette! Yeah. And uh, the week before that, the kick off the season, we talked about the impact and the influence that the TLC matches had. So this week, we're going to talk about Something that I really do think was influential, for better or for worse, which is an aspect of this whole thing. It doesn't have to be a good influence. Mm-hmm. It just has to have made some kind of an indelible mark on the business in some way. We're talking about Monday Nitro, believe it or not. Yes, Monday Nitro. It, it was a show, and it was different. <laughs> it, it was. It was it like was. A, no joke. It was, it was a big deal. Changed a lot of things. It, did. Um, it led to a lot of things. It led to a lot of things, and there are things that are still like visible today. Yep. So let's get to that. So obviously, the biggest influence on Monday Nitro to even get to that point was clearly WWF's Monday Night Raw. Right. No it, way around. It that. was let's put wrestling live, but only for a little bit until <laughs> they decided they wanted to just be in warehouses taped. <laughs> and, but, you know, the, the the initial concept of it is, I think, what Nitro was going off of was that it would be a live show every week. Right. You know, That's one of the things that was different about it. Now, Raw was different in its own right, because here, for the first time, WWF was doing a weekly live show. And we all know the story about how before 1984, wrestling was in smoky bars, and then they did their <laughs> syndicated programming blah blah and it replaced uh, raw replaced prime time we right. know that we've covered raw a real lot this sport which used to be in smoky national guard armories with warm beers and everything else but raw despite its i think it happened moniker nothing ever really happened i mean usually you know the brooklyn brawler <laughs> right. doing or something <laughs> like, it was, like it wasn't that amazing like occasionally there was moments like we've all, we moments. all know about the one, two, three kid, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, but like, but what like, else? Like, I don't know. It, it's kind of like there was nothing that amazing. I mean, to be fair, that was where their storylines advanced, but it kind of just replaced superstars just on a different day. Honestly, like, that's yeah. all it was. For the first couple of years of Raw, you had a couple of title changes and things like that, a couple of surprises. You had Rob Bartlett on commentary for the yeah. first few months. Bobby Heenan's on the outside. Who's on the inside? Rob Bartlett, that's who. Get the hell out of here. I have news for people, though. The funny part about this, like, oh, stuff happens on Raw thing. Go back and watch the Superstars when it was the main show. Actually, like, stuff more happened than, there too. like, things happen a lot on Superstars. I think there's, like, some kind of like misconception because I think people who grew up in the mid nineties they only saw superstars it's like the B show and they're right, like oh right. I guess it was always like this no like superstars was basically like well sometimes there'd even be like feature matches oh and yeah stuff. title changes yeah. absolutely but anyway Raw by ninety five oh my god and we were watching this at the time yeah. too it was poor it was sleepy yeah it was it was just <laughs> hard to watch the thing about that I want to note to people though is we didn't know the difference though right we no, thought no, no. that we just thought well this is just, this how, just it how it is, is. <laughs> and you have to wait till the pay-per-view for the real shit to happen <laughs> right but then wcw comes along right that's what happens right and we all know the famous first episode of nitro lex luger shows up so right out of the gate we've got a big surprise oh, what? what in the hell is he doing here get the kid Ooh. off of here and not even just that, though. It's in, like, a fucking mall. There's a train in the background. Yeah. Brian Pillman's wrestling Jushin Liger. Like, and you got Hogan, you know, there. Everyone's a big presence, right? right? It's like all the stars come out. WCW is heated up by this point, clearly wanting to compete with uh, WWF and take a big portion of their audience. And they were successful at it as, as the months went on. We all know they expanded to two hours. It started out as a one-hour show, despite the two hours on TNT. May of 96, obviously, Nitro has Scott Hall appear right. through the crowd 
And that really becomes, that cements Nitro's reputation as the must-watch show for 83 weeks for most people. Because to be honest with you, while Vince McMahon over on his program on Raw would yell every week, anything can happen, blah, 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 like anything actually did happen on Nitro. And I think that was the difference. They put their money where their mouth is. Absolutely. Great point. And they put Turner's money where their mouth was, honestly. But all jokes aside, they really did. They really did. The first few years of it were good. And they they delivered. Chuck Mess, I know, but they they did (laughs) deliver. Yeah. In this sense, no, where Nitro was there, there was just no reason to watch the competition for a while because nothing happened well, over there. Over there, you had freaking Gladiator Farouk debuting in the summer in '96. Like yeah. all this horrible crap is going. On. I <laughs> love the WWF, but me too. You want them to be good, yeah. but it's like what the fuck? Like Sean's got John with him, like Jose yeah. Lothario, John, the old man manager. And meanwhile, the, cool. the, the WF guys you know and love are over also on WWE. So you're like, well, I know who those people are, so I can right. watch. Plus, they're fighting like the old guys that were in WF also. Right. And plus there was a grit to Nitro right. in 96. Today it might seem commonplace. Well, maybe not today, but looking back it might seem commonplace because WWF did catch up and in 97 and 98 they really changed the tone of their product. But Nitro in 96 throughout 97 Even up was, to 98 it was still a hopping show, yeah, yeah. I want to say. But I was going to say it was the trendsetter. Yeah. It's what WWF didn't imitate, but they took the influence from and were like, alright, we got to make our shit better. Right. I mean, Vince Russo has said, this is what Vince Russo says, some people don't like him, some people do. Bro. He said he didn't pattern after ECW. He said he patterned after seeing what WCW was doing with the NWO. Okay, bro. What ideas did I steal from them? I wasn't inspired by ECW creative. Now, I've said I was inspired by the NWO creative. Right. He's like, I want our show to be more like that. You know, exactly. the, the gritty shit, the outside stuff. Nash throwing a Mysterio into the trailer, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Now you say outside stuff, and I think that's also like that. It's funny you say that, just because like that was the other thing with Nitro. It's just the whole production of it was very different, right? So whereas WF Raw, you know, generally in an aircraft hangar um, <laughs> or or like just you know dirty the Hammerstein ballroom yeah. or whatever, but like Nitro was like it was in a mall for the first episode. Sometimes it was an arena. Sometimes it was outside, like MGM Studios. Sometimes it was at, like, Club Vila or whatever the fuck that was. Bob Vila's house. Yeah, Bob Vila's house. Whatever. Hi, I'm Bob Vila. They would, like, switch it up. There was, like, seasonal locations and stuff. And, like, I want to give props to the production because alone, that's what made it pop off the page to me as a kid. I was like, this looks, like, so different to any wrestling I've ever seen. Right. And despite the uh, the parodies and the criticism of Tony Schiavone's, you know, biggest night in the history of our sport, which obviously wasn't always true, right. he did lend a credibility to right. Nitro by by just kind of embodying this anything can freaking happen tonight atmosphere, you and know? They're also kind of the evolution of how Bobby Heenan acted during these days when he cared. Like, I'm talking yeah, he like... he did still care sometimes. Like, in the Nitro era, in the early Nitro he era, cared. he, like, at- lended a bit of, like, credibility. It was like, because Bobby turned into, like, he was still jokey, but he would also, like, hype of, like, yeah, WCW is, like, a really big deal. This is right. number one. Like, he you did know, do that. You know, like, a little bit a little bit more serious, a little bit more, like, veteran sports commentator who, you know, had a couple jokes right. still left in him, but oh, not, yeah. as, not as heavy on the jokes. Right. That well, They were a yeah. big part of that, the commentary team, yeah. specifically uh, Shivani and Heenan. Right. And actually, I want to say this also about the commentary team, and I know we always make fun of cheese breath, but, like... <laughs> The thing about Mike Tanay <laughs> is that, honestly, what that did to me as a kid, personally, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. It's kind of like when the NFL brings in 
you know, sometimes they have like an expert, like a former ref or something, sure. or, you know, like yeah. an expert on something that the announcers, since they're they're only dealing in the general, know about. And I kind of liked just just these little things that Nitro did that were different. I agree with that. I think also the bringing up today here, one of the things that set Nitro apart was having the cruiserweight matches, right? Having general competitive matches, like just a string of them, a ton of them. Now that doesn't mean they were all important, but just yeah. tons of stars. So this is the next aspect of Nitro that influenced a lot of things. Before this, like we said, WF, you know, Brooklyn Brawler versus fucking Aldo Montoya or something. Yeah, and probably. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> But like it was just a procession of Jeff Hardy, the jobber. Right, versus, versus Mantar. Versus Mantar. Like, who wants to watch? Look, I, I like squash matches. Don't get me wrong. I like them too, but... But it, it sucked in 95, Well, 96. here's the thing is jobber matches work on a syndicated program, right? Where yes. you can just shove a bunch of them in right? right on a live program on the other hand like you can't do that like it just doesn't work right right wcw realizes this it's like well we if it's live we have to why do you care if it's live if it's just jobber matches right like you want to see you like, watch it you want to see like anything actually happening and you want to see big fights Sting. Right? How yeah. many fights? Yeah. You want to see Randy Savage. Right. You want to see DDP. Right. You want to see the NWO, all mm-hmm. these guys. You want to see the stars because it's live and anything can happen. Correct. Again. Absolutely. And and I keep harping on it, but that's, you can't, like, it doesn't matter what happens unless the big stars are involved. I think so, you're right. So Nitro comes out and it changes this, right? And this profoundly, because now there's no jobber matches, this profoundly changes how wrestling is. Televised Monday wrestling, yes. Because, to this day. To this day. I mean, you don't turn on Raw anymore. There's no jobber matches. Like, even yeah. when they say it's a jobber match, it's usually somebody who at least was a star once. Right, of course. You know, maybe a couple months ago or whatever. They even do that with, like, Val Venus and stuff back in the day, I remember, yeah. with stuff like that. Yeah. But, you know what? Some might say that's a negative. I want to talk about this part of it. So, right. Nitro was great. And as much as I like to just make fun of WCW for my own personal, you know, <laughs> amusement. Yeah, yeah. amusement. Uh, it was a very good show for a period of time. Be right back. I have to go sprinkle salt where hell just froze over. I think WWF in 97 and into 98, they kind of perfected the formula so much so that 97 Raw is really good. And you and I both know that. Yes. And they took cues from Nitro. They took cues from Nitro. Just the fact that, again, no more jobber matches. Right. That, that was the big change in WF. That was a big paradigm shift, for especially for them, because WCW was just like, well, fuck it. We'll dis-. They were sort of doing it on Saturday night <laughs> Yeah, anyway. they didn't care anyway. They, they didn't care anyway. But like then when WF was forced to do it, that changed everything about it. Everything. So much so that from 98, 99, 2001, you know, all the way up, a lot of matches would occur on Raw that would also happen on pay-per-view either later or before. Well, which, with, a, with a stipulation. Yeah, is, generally. Is the difference, right? Like, your many, career's on the line, or it's in a cage or some shit. But, but how many times did Austin wrestle on Raw versus Hogan wrestling on Superstars, for example? Oh, Austin was on every week. Hogan Correct. on Superstars. It, it, it was It was a big deal if Hulk right. Hogan was on TV. And that's part of the paradigm shift you were talking about, is yeah. now the pay-per-views, yes, they're still there throughout the rest of the 90s into the 2000s, but now the weekly TV has has all the stars all the time, but that trend has just continued to this day, Quinn. Right, and for better or for worse, right? I mean, I I think that's ultimately all this 50-50 booking everyone complains about. It's a result of that paradigm shift in 95. I agree. You know, when all of a sudden you couldn't put just crap matches on. (laughs) You know what I mean? And And when that happens, you can't devalue your stars, right? So they have to trade wins. And they, they, you know what I mean? Like, because then if one guy always loses, like a jobber, then why are you going to watch him at the pay per view? Exactly. And I think that that's a negative. I'm going to be honest. It's not Nitro's fault, so to speak, well, but it's a what, consequence. This is what I want 
to point out about Nitro. You have to remember what they were doing to them was only about essentially survival. Bischoff has said this. They just looked at what WWF is doing. What are they not doing? They and counter-programmed they were, it. Yep. They counter-programmed it. They didn't give a shit about the consequences because they just wanted to be the number one show. They didn't think, oh, 30 years down the road or whatever, that, yeah. like, like that, how's this going to affect wrestling? They didn't give a shit. I don't think they thought 30 days down the road most right, times in exactly. WCW, truthfully. It was just all about those Tuesday morning numbers, you know, from right. the night before. And, and this is the other aspect, and I said this with the programming, but I wanted to get to, was the programming the show to the commercials, and that was totally different. It was a big deal. With how wrestling used to do it correct like wcw you know started shit where like they would just make sure that wf was also at commercial for Mm -hmm. example or they would they would do things to me this is an early example they do things like remember the time when jericho read the things in there and then they came back the list of moves and they came back from commercials (laughs) it's just like little Little like touches playing around with the way wrestling live wrestling works with a commercial that they have to have sure they, sure they, they would just play with it right yep yep i think that's that's a good observation actually i think the thing is is the cat is so far out of the bag now and i think that there's no putting that genie back in the bottle and any other metaphor i can think of but yeah this is just what monday wrestling is now it's way too long now three hours right now wcw did this actually it was genius because to be honest with you um when you had a live wrestling show right no one hour actually did feel very uh, claustrophobic. You're a claustrophobic. <laughs> you want a fist in the mouth? Mm-mm. Never even looked at another guy before. It could yeah. during that era, especially when there was just so many people on the roster, you couldn't fit them all into one hour. I think two hours was the sweet spot. Two hours was the sweet spot, but the problem was. Is so WCW like once WF went to two hours they were like well we got to counter it so yeah. like three hours and then and then poor idea yeah and then WF's continued at two hours but then once there was no WCW WF was like well why don't we do three hours and then just it just kept getting it, it just kept escalating and I don't think it was the intention that it would escalate in the hours no, WCW no, no. initially it was just like well we have to have something different. Right. And also, we have a million people and we have to put them all on TV. Which is very true. I yeah. agree with that. I think if we wanted to list all, you know, kind of bullet point the good influences of Nitro, I would say it added excitement where it was sorely needed. And a slam by Doink the Cloud oh, to yeah. Monday Night Wrestling. Yeah. I mean, who knows what WWF would have kept doing if Nitro didn't step into we didn't the picture? Even, we forgot to mention even the set of how Nitro was with like there was pyro and, yeah, and, and this, a ramp and a ramp and all this shit that yeah. like WWF had to copy, basically. Essentially, so. I mean, we got to give Nitro credit there. They brought some, they freshened up the Monday night wrestling scene because Raw, and again, there's some good moments in 95. Don't get me wrong, but it's, it was stale. It just wasn't that good. No. And I love them. We love them, but it was just, they, they needed a kick in the ass. Right. And and Nitro was definitely a kick in the ass. Yes. Uh, They introduced high quality presentation. I mean, Raw was okay. WWE's always solid, but Nitro took it a step further and they actually were innovative. We always forget is Nitro was run by a television company, and Vince was not a television. He never was. I mean, we've always seen in the older stuff having problems with fucking sound and yeah, like he needed the, cameras to help him, and stuff like that. And WCW was run by Turner, which was an actual real life television yeah, company. Yeah, and they broadcast sports, and right. so they just had a feel they, for it. They had the the right camera equipment. They had the right camera men. Right, like they had, they had all the people, like right. the apparatus to do this. And uh, WWF. Emulated that successfully, right. obviously. Uh, and uh, booking, I'm not even talking about booking or anything like that or yeah. creative it's decisions. More about the, but the, the, 
the, the influence overall, of the program itself yeah, the and program. what it did to actual like wrestling television. Right. It introduced not only high quality production, but high quality matches on Monday right. nights, which you'd again in WWF you'd sometimes get, mm-hmm. but with the cruiserweights and just this mix of talent, it introduced people to a lot of wrestlers that maybe they normally wouldn't see. Yeah. And I think that's there's something to be said for, better for that. better or for worse, too, it introduced yeah. you to pay-per-view quality matches right. on television, right? right? Like Goldberg versus Hulk Hogan, the, the infamous yeah. example, right? It's yeah. like, that, like that shit. Right. And again, for better or for worse, it introduced us to long-ass promos and talking about the NWO just taking up like 20 minutes of airtime in the ring. To me, though, that that's a, that's a storyline decision. I, it is, but it's continued to this right. day. The, is the, the, thing. the promo thing, yeah. The, the really long open promo. Open the show with a long right, promo right. thing, yeah. Yeah, WWF was influenced, I guess, by that. I'm not really sure. But overall, I'd say that Nitro's influence, whether you like it or not, it is tangible. Oh, yeah. I truly no, believe so. It's 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 100% there. It is there. Uh, and again, it took its whole its whole genesis was, well, let's just compete with WWF. But and it, let's just do everything they're not doing. Exactly. Yeah. It, it wasn't just let's be WWF Junior. Right. Which that was they the tried. Is because yeah. they tried for years to be WWF <laughs> right. Junior. And um, then they were like, well, what do they not do? Like, that's the infamous. That's always, again, I, I just want to say it is yeah. that Bischoff says in all interviews, and it, you, it, you could just see it. He's not lying in this case. Like, you can see what they did. Like, no, you can see what they did. You can yeah, see the you fruits can, of you it. You can see that he literally made a checklist that said, what are they not doing? And he just watched an episode and said, what is not in this show? Yeah, they don't have a football player with a dog on that yeah, show. So exactly. we're going so to. We're gonna have that. Um, <laughs> but the, but you're right, yeah. though. You're absolutely yeah. right. They had their big stars wrestle all the time, which WWF it was more occasional. They're not really fighting outside the ring. That right? shit. Yeah, you know, stuff you know, like that, right. You know, There's no unpredictability. There's no unpredictability. So yeah. let's have surprises. So I think Nitro's influence... Again, I'm I'm kind of torn on it. There was some good to it. I think a lot of it is just carried over and morphed into whatever we have today. I do think it's a little nowadays, right? Just this kind of a closing. I do think that they have a really. I just don't like how people just poo-poo anything they ever did, as if like it didn't matter. I, I, WCW. Yeah, I just I just think that Nitro was a big step in the right direction overall. Even yeah. even with some of the consequences. Listen, everything you do is going to have a negative consequence somehow, right? I, I would imagine. You know, you know what I mean? Like, there has to be a side effect at the very least, right? Fair enough. What they did did truly advance wrestling so that it could be digested by the mainstream. That's fair, Quinn. You know? And it also really helped heat up the product and led to a boom in the 90s. Right. If it wasn't for Nitro, there might not have been a boom, you know, as I like to call it, throughout the late 90s into the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, let us know your thoughts, folks, on that. And let us know if you have any suggestions for an influencer segment. We'll be happy to uh, see if we can get to it for you. But, Quinn, when we come back, it is now week two of the Royal Rankings. That is the best managers of all time. We've got two coming out of the tank. We're going to see where they rank. It's the Royal Rankings coming up right after this. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. The best arenas, the biggest names, and the toughest action to ever hit the ring. Get it 100% live and ringside. Two hours of WCW Monday Nitro. Every Monday at 8 on TNT. The WCW Nitro trading card game has even more ways to get slap happy on your friends. 11 card slap packs add wrestlers and moves to your deck. The WCW Nitro trading card game. Get in the ring. 
It's Talking Nitro Arena with all the sounds and action of the WCW. Here, Kevin Nash on the runway. Lower Sting down from the Raptors. Here the count as you beat your opponent. Who's next? I don't know. And welcome back, wrestling fans, to our Vantage Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. Thank you guys for being with us here. It's episode number 163 here on February the 3rd, 2020. How you doing there, Michael? Hi. 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 <laughs> so, Quinn, did you know that we have a Patreon account? Yeah, Patreon. We log I've into it, it sometimes. Yeah, I log into it, too. I post things occasionally. <laughs> yes. And, folks, if you want to see some of those posts, you can pay very little money to get a lot of content. The littlest of monies. It, seriously, it's very few monies. Mm-hmm. It's really not a lot of monies. Comparatively to some of these other... It's no Disney Plus or, no. or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's $2, $3, or $5. Those are the only mm-hmm. tiers that we offer. I'm going to run them down for you real quick. And again, this is if you like OVP. You've been listening, maybe. Maybe you just caught on to it, and you're like, oh, man, what a fun show. Or maybe you're like, eh, I've been thinking about it a while. I'm going to sit on the fence here a while. Well, get off the fence. Go over to patreon.com slash OVP podcast. Here's what you're going to get. For $2 a month. A month. A month. That's it. Less than a cup of coffee for the entire month. Literally. You're going to get raw video of the making of every single Monday episode. That Mm -hmm. means you get to see our shirts. Yes, shirts. Very um, important. You also get to see when we mess up and whatever. What do you mean mess up? We never mess anything up, Quinn. This is a perfectly live show. listen to the opening of this show (laughs) this week, and you will get to see. Yeah, it's true. Uh, But you get before the show, after the show, in the breaks and things like that. But you're also going to unlock an archive of older content, and we're talking about the Mount Rushmore and Death Valley extras, there's like 12 of those. Mm-hmm. That's where we rank the silliest things, the, the best the and worst. Doink and all yeah. that. Yeah. Wrestling misters, yeah. stuff like that. And like 34, 35 OVP commentaries, which is where Quinn and I sat down and watched a match on the WWE Network. You can sync up with us if you want to, yeah. or you just listen to it. Kind of like Mystery Science Theater. Yeah, there sort you go. Of, you know? yeah, no, that's, that's nice. Good one. Yeah, there you go. Very good. And that's only $2 a month. Now, for $3 a month, you had one more buck. And you're going to get everything we mentioned, plus bi-weekly, every other Friday, 1983 live reviews. Quinn and I watch championship wrestling in order week to week. It's a very fun show. It really is. We've been doing it all the way since January of 82. Yeah, we we have a huge archive. Um, if you'd like to try out that, you can go to our YouTube page. Yeah, for free. Uh, OVP Podcast YouTube page. Yep. And over there, you, there's I think there's like 20-something episodes. Yeah. You can just try it out. And every week, we kind of release an old one so you can go kinda in get a feel get for a feel it. For it. Yep. And plus, you know, those old ones, why not? Not, right? Why not? But that's uh, only $3 a month you're going to get those. And then you cap it off at $5 a month. You're going to get all the stuff that we've talked about. Plus, every single month, we are releasing a full length. We're talking two and a half, three, maybe four. We'll see what WrestleMania 5 <laughs> turns knows, out to yeah. be. Uh, pay-per-view review. We're going in order. We started with WrestleMania 1. We've even included things like the big event and WrestleFest 88 for classic. fun. Yeah, the all wrestling that, classic those, is in there. The weird ones. We run down the pay-per-view and we you know, do our typical Joe and Quinn humor. We give star ratings. Yeah, the rare. There's no Very star rare. ratings on the usual reviews no, on here. No, so. no, no, no. And that's only $5 a month. People really seem to like those reviews. So again, if you... If you've liked OVP, if maybe you've been thinking about the Patreon, go try it out. You know, there's no commitment. There's no contract. Yeah. This isn't Verizon. Yeah. You you just go there, pay a few bucks, patreon.com slash OVP podcast. See if you like it. If you don't like it, you cancel it. And honestly, if you don't want to donate, that's fine, too. We're just happy you're listening. Yeah, OVP Patreon. It's like PBS, except you get more than a tote bag. You know? (laughs) It's just a good time. Very good, Quinn. Yeah. I like that. All right, it's time for the Royal Rankings. This is where we rank the best and worst of something. We ask you, the fans, to vote to give us your list of your 10 best 
and your 10 worst for this season it was managers and as always thank you to joe merkel for compiling all of those votes for this season yes, thank you joseph thank you very much joseph what we do is we pull out two names and we rank them and then we add them up so that way by the end of the season you will have the definitive scientifically proven non-gmo organic all natural baptized and ordained and healthy usda approved usda approved best and worst managers of all time let me run down the only two that are on the board right now we have at number one sherry martell she's good she is real good and at number two is paul Heyman. i gotta say we didn't get as much a uh, blowback on that as i thought a bit of a split reaction but <laughs> Yeah, people I mean, seem to support it. As, some some people thought Heyman was better. Some people thought Sherry was better. I, I think Sherry's better. So I thought we were going to catch a lot more flack for that, but we both... The, uh, the flack. It's yeah. science, man. It, well, no, it is. It's all... And it's USDA. I mean, it's <laughs> right. very official. They, they'll they get on us. They'll take our life science yeah. license away or whatever. We, we need that science license. Yeah. All right. Without any further ado here, let's go down to Howard Finkel for the Royal Rankings. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time... About the happiest man in the world. Hey, I can resort to showing my body. I got a 32 inch waist. I'll tell you the biggest surprise your employment. The dream that he too was going to someday be a champion. You sorry excuse for a human. You sorry excuse for a man. You can have Sinatra, Tom Jones, you can have anybody you want. The Misfits, I don't care. Oh, baby, I love you. Yes, I do. It is Royal Rankings, week two, as we rank the best managers of all time. Right now, as we mentioned, we got Sherry Martell at number one and Paul Heyman at number two. But right now, in a few short seconds, number three is going to make his his or her entrance. So we're going to have number to see three. number three. So, Quinn... I like ranking managers. It's fun because you get to kind of go through a manager's career and see what they've done maybe for their wrestlers and things yes. like that. We have, uh, we've kind of established a loose criteria such as, you know, did they get their people over? <laughs> uh, did they book them at the airports? And uh, <laughs> that's very did important. They, did they take their bags and all this? Did they help them train? You yeah, know, things training. like that. <laughs> training is very important, you Coaching, know, when you're a manager. You yes. uh, so I think it's time, Quinn. I think the fans are ready. I think you and I are ready. Why don't we all find out who drew? Number three. Boy, if I was a betting man, I bet you could hear a pin drop in the plate. <sighs> I'm not thrilled about this, but it's J.J. <laughs> Dillon. I, I like J.J. Dillon. I know Dillon. you don't like James, him a lot. James Dillon. Yeah, what's James his, J. Dillon, right? James E. What's his, what's his name? His real name is, J, is uh, James Morrison. J- James Morrison. <laughs> not to be confused what's with Jim Morrison. What's the other J, then? I never even thought about this. James J. Dillon. Oh, uh, I guess. JoJo Dillon. <laughs> JoJo Dillon, yes. <laughs> so obviously, J.J. Dillon can hang his hat on the fact that he was the manager of the most elite stable in wrestling. Hey, I mean... You can't argue with horsemen. that, right? Yeah, I know, I know. Now, That's now his, his biggest claim to fame. Now, this was kind of like a merger, though, if I recall, because the way this worked is somehow he was involved with Tully Blanchard Enterprises yes, that was, and, <laughs> right. and Baby Doll and all this, and, and then, like, because of that... He got he, involved with Flair. He got involved with Flair, and 
Oli and Iron. Yeah, Oli and Iron. Who they didn't have. I don't think they had a manager before that. I don't recall. I don't believe so. Yeah. So J.J. Dillon was not only, you know, a backstage guy in the WWF after this, you know, rather notably. He was there uh, as as late as 96. And then the on-screen commissioner, what was he in WCW? Commissioner, right? I want to say, yeah, or president, maybe. No, he was not the president. I don't know. I think he was the commissioner. He was on the board of executives or judges (laughs) or whatever. You know how WCW is. There's always some board somewhere. And speaking of board, that's how I am when I watch J.J. Dillon. Nevertheless, (laughs) uh, he was, you know, a notable manager, mainly for the Four Horsemen, but he did manage other other people like Abdullah the Butcher. like, I feel like before the Horseman, he was like, it was basically like a Captain Lou situation Kinda. or like Grand Wizard. Like basically like any fucking heel that was in the company would just be like, well, they're managed by J.J. Dillon. Yeah, we're talking about, you know, Buddy Landell, yeah. Ox Baker, mm-hmm. uh, Waldo Von Eric, David Von Eric, but Butch Reed, but notably, of course, the Horseman. And I guess to give him credit, mm-hmm. I, if you can't tell, I don't really, I'm not a fan of him, but yeah. to give him credit. I don't think the Horseman would have been the same without J.J. Dillon no, Quinn. because the thing with him is he added this era of like, oh, they must be important. They have like this businessman type guy, you know, because J.J. Dillon does look like an accountant. At he the end really of the, does. You know what I mean? Sounds like one, too. So they, it kind of added to this like Wall Street or whatever the fuck the Horseman that look preppy or whatever. Wall it's Street. Like, you know what I mean? Like that they, they have a lot of money and there's a guy that handles said money. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. And the other thing that I like about J.J. Dillon is that he was not afraid to get physically involved, even more so than like a Bobby the Brain Heenan, in my opinion. Yeah, he was involved a lot. I'll yeah. give you that. He would. He would had no problem making an ass of himself. Right. Right. You know what yeah, I mean? No, he'd take a punch. And obviously, he was a former wrestler. He actually wrestled a lot. Uh, 60s, 70s, and into the 80s. He's appeared against, I think it was Tito Santana in the WWF as late as 84 mm-hmm. as a wrestler. So yes. I mean, weighing 238 pounds, James J. Dillon. He's no stranger to the ring. And also just a, he was a guy that was just in the industry forever. Absolutely. Like really to give him some credit. I mean, like we're not talking because we're talking about his management or whatever, but honestly he was like involved in, he went to WF, did some work over there. A lot of stuff back there. uh, WCW. I think, did he come back to WWF after the fall of WCW for a little bit? I'm I'm not sure about that. I think so, but the point is, is that up to like the early two thousands, he was just, in the wrestling business consistently right. from like the 60s. Yeah, no, that's the know? thing about him. He was an industry veteran, right, to, put yeah. it, to put it nicely. And it translated into him as a manager. I don't know that he was a charismatic manager the way a Bobby Heenan was or the I, way a Jim Cornette was. I tend to disagree what? only because I just, I see his work. I'm not saying he's Bobby the Brain Heenan. Let's well, not, I know that. I'm saying that I, I find him very charismatic. I find like huh? when you, when he can get on the stump and make a speech about how great the Four Horsemen is or, you know, I like that he can bullshit with the best of them and make up like fucking fake corporations and money and we're going to merge with Hashima and all them. Oh, like, well, yeah. you know, he makes it seem very official, you know, better than like Tunney, for example, who well, just is like a, a big oaf. Big plank of cardboard with yeah. a voice. You wanted your cage match at Starcade 87. That's real clear. But from that point on down here in page two, it doesn't read like we understood. Yeah, Dylan did. That's the biggest strength, I think, is that he lended a, a, a sense of credibility, a, an official quality to the Horsemen. But on the other hand, the other part I like about him is, is that he adds this credibility, but he also adds this corporate style malfeasance. I don't know how to put it any other Look way. Like, you. like this idea that he's not only um, making money and he's a smart businessman, but he's also 
enjoying the rewards of that a little bit too much. Like, I remember there was something <laughs> where Ric Flair was like, there, somebody beat him up in a hotel room, and he was there was something with women, and J.D. Dillon was getting excited and taking his right. pants off and all this. Yeah. Like, it was just like, but it was dark. So it was like, and then they got beat up by like, I don't, I don't remember the, the people, but the right. point is, is that they kind of put this in your head that no, JJ Dillon, not only is he, he's managing the money, but he's enjoying the rewards. He's and, having a liquid lunch, if you will. Right, you know, that he's having a good time <laughs> right. as they're on the top here. He's snorting the Coke off of the nightstand. Can we right. put it that way? Exactly. That's what and I'm I saying. Like, I like that. JJ Dillon on lot. Coke. Maybe yeah. his promos would have been more exciting then. I'm going to see if I can figure out. The answer before I know what the question is. Aha, I have it. The answer is because Tully Blanchard hit him so hard when he knocked him out, he doesn't know what his name is. Let's see what the question is. It's been hermetically sealed. The question is, why does Ronnie Garvin wear a towel around his neck with his name on it? <laughs> Dylan, like, kind of joined in in the tomfoolery of the exactly. horseman, right? And, and sometimes I would get him in trouble, and that's where I want to just get into also that he would be in matches, like the, the oh, war yeah. games. Yep. That was an infamous... That was Classic. actually... A great people don't talk about enough. JD Dillon just getting his fucking ass whooped in in like one of the first war games, and he's like bloody and like he, he gets take like a shit kicking. He, man. He, they just killed him. Like right, it was it was pretty bad. And I think that's the credit I think JD Dillon deserves. And I think that's why a lot of like Southern wrestling fans who watched more uh, Crockett stuff, right? They to, he's their Bobby. Like he's this guy that you know he's official type and. He just, I mean, he would get his, but he would also get his revenge, and he would also enjoy the fun, and right. he's just kind of, like, always around. I guess, I the, the one thing about Dylan, though, obviously we'll talk more when it comes to ranking, is, was he really a memorable promo? Was he really, I know he added, you know, an aura to the horseman, but did I, he help sell the tickets, you think? I Honestly, I watch uh, from watching a lot of those WCW Saturday nights or whatever they were called, yeah. World Championship World Wrestling. World Championship Wrestling. Um, he's always talking. He's always hyping up. You know, shit at the Omni next no. weekend. Um, you know, he does. He gets the matches over. He does. I'm gonna have to just lay my personal biases aside for yeah. this one because we are scientists, and I don't want my license revoked. Like exactly. we said, I, need I think to be- you need to like if you look back at like the stuff he did. I mean, he. He did the same shit that all the other good managers that we consider good. You're right. Did. Like you he are just right. did it for WCW instead, or, or did Crockett. it for the Horsemen. Yeah. You're right. Okay. You know what? You're that is fair. Yeah. This is t- this is a tough one for me because yeah. I don't like him. I think Joe. I think that <laughs> and it's not what a, weighs. I'm just hev- not interested in him. I think what weighs heavy on you is you remember him more for on Nitro being the commissioner or whatever the fuck being he was aggravating as hell. And, and like, well, he was kind of funny. That whole shit with Jericho was amazing. <laughs> yeah, I know. But it's not that. No, I'm thinking of the manager version. I just that's something about him. I just never latched on to. <laughs> I think you just don't like him because he's alternate dimension Bobby the Brain. He, he's like Bizarro Bobby. Like, maybe like, I don't know. Maybe that's what bugs you about him. Kind of like in Seinfeld, the, the Bizarro people. They're kind of annoying. <laughs> like the, ver- the Bizarro versions. Of- yeah. What are you doing? Eating elves? You ever heard of asking? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Like it's just like JJ Dillon is the alternate Bobby the Brain. Yeah, but he's and- crappy at it. Yeah. I don't know. He's he is what <laughs> he's he not is. That right? Crap. He is. I guess he's he just is what he is. That's all I got to say. About him. I'm not. Yeah. A, I'm not a big fan of his. I, I, what else you want to say about him? Just I think that he's overlooked a lot because I think. That by the time we got to the '90s, he was really a behind-the-scenes guy. Other than that, he one, was that one or two years in WWE where he was like the, the on-screen head of the commissioner, commissioner yeah. or whatever the commissioner judges people. He was the commissioner, executive committee. That's it. That's, That's what, what it was. The executive pre- committee, president of the executive committee. I think. Yeah, great. All right, 
enough of him. Let's move yeah. on. <laughs> Let's find out who drew number four. I'm going to have to crawl in the ring and wear these stupid, silly-looking tights. I am a manager. I am not a professional wrestler. Baby, baby. Yeah, baby, baby. <laughs> there he is. All right. I like Jimmy Hart. Mr. Baby over here. This is one, though, to sink your teeth into, because obviously Jimmy Hart is very fondly remembered, very yes. notable, very unique. He holds this place as one of the mid-tier managers, but, like, actually successful, which I always... is. To me, that's the funniest part about him is that as much as Bobby is treated like the greatest manager, Jimmy overall had like more success, like, right? He, was like, he always had a champion. Like he just he always al- did. He just always had somebody with a belt hanging around. It was just very rarely a main eventer until yeah. uh, until Jimmy turned face. And obviously. also, he didn't throw it in your face like manager of champions or anything like that. It was just no. kind of like subtly he's. Always got the Intercontinental title yep. or always or has the, the tag. tag titles or yeah, something. Yeah. Absolutely. And even he had a world champion in Hulk Hogan. Like, yeah. you know, like he never, he just always had a champion. You're right about that. Jimmy Hart got started managing in the late 70s. Uh, he was a Memphis guy. He was the Memphis man. I mean, he was the man of Memphis for several years until going to the WWF. Uh, notably, he was involved in the entire uh, Jerry the King Lawler, Andy Kaufman mm-hmm. feud, if you recall. Andy! Hello. It's great hearing from you. Man, listen, I am so excited about this. You know, I, I know your burn is healed up now. Listen, you know, Lawler was out here talking about he's dropped out of the top ten rankings, right? Well, I promise you this. When we get through with him Monday night, he won't even be in the magazine, Willie Baby. He was unique because he was not. He's the opposite of Dylan. He was never in the wrestling business until this. Right, but he ended up being in the wrestling oh, business yeah. forever, forever. Once, he, once he was involved. We're talking 40 plus years he, now. Yeah. But he had been a singer in a crappy little 60s band called The Gentries. Right. Yeah, uh, eh, whatever. Uh, he, he always came off to me as a music guy that worked in Nashville, Memphis sort of area. Got, somehow got in contact with, with King. With King yep. Yep, and, there, and there's the door open and he just said, I'll stick with this thing. You yep. know? Like, it, that's, that's how it came off to me. And he was great because he was such a unique talker. Just the fast-paced, high-pitched voice, very distinct. The mouth of the South. The, the name fit the manager, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, he, and he had a different look, too, compared to most managers. He wasn't fat and slobbish like Albano. Well, he was, he was a pipsqueak. And that's then, the thing. And what was so great about that is in a business with big muscly man, yeah, and Jimmy Hart's acting super annoying with a megaphone. <laughs> right, it lends a lot of like a visual like, man, I just want to see those guys punch him out. Like right. he is that little annoying hopping asshole. around, yeah. like literally hopping Jumping around, up and down, yeah. like you know, getting insults, like, flipped into the ring <laughs> yeah. if somebody beat him up. Like he was great at getting beat up too, having his jacket ripped off and pants ripped constantly off constantly too. Yeah. Like more so than most of the other managers. Like Jimmy Hart. The thing about him getting beat up is nobody ever got tired of it. So like, oh, yeah. cause it's it just, it's funny, right? It's like, here's this big guy beating up this little guy and it just, he, and he would, you know, he'd scurry away or right. something. You know, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So down in Memphis, he was a big time manager there. He managed guys like Bundy and Rude and Macho Man for a period of yeah, time. I mean, I mean, he, he, but he was like the main manager right over there. He was like the main manager, one of the big time ones for a period of time in the 80s, yeah. Mm-hmm. And of course, he comes to the WWF uh, right before WrestleMania, the right. first WrestleMania, and he was with King Kong Bundy at first. Greg the Hammer Valentine And he also. was with Greg the Hammer Valentine, the IC champion, that's right. right so there, Jimmy already belts. Right? <laughs> he like already has a title. Immediately. <laughs> yep. And uh, he eventually unloaded Bundy. Well, I don't want to say unloaded. He eventually brokered a deal with Bobby Heenan, right. where Bobby got Bundy, and Jimmy Hart got the missing link who stunk. And 
Notably, though, here's a big one. Adrian Adonis. Right. Which became a big meal ticket for him later on. Yeah, because this is where Adrian throughout like the end of 85 was morphing like he was still wearing the jacket, but he was just getting very round. Yeah. And he was morphing into what would become adorable Adrian. Is there any truth to the fact that um, the adorable character was some kind of punishment? for him getting fat. I, I heard that on something recently and I was I like, don't I don't know. know if that's true. It seems like it'd be his own idea. Yeah. Truthfully. I, honestly, yeah. Adrian's own idea. So he obviously has this hot feud with Adonis and Piper. That mm-hmm. was a big one for him. But at the same time, he also starts to manage uh, the Heart Foundation, which was Let's remember here, yes. that was actually the name of his stable. Right. So the Heart Foundation, it's just kind of a coincidence that they're all named Heart and basically they said why don't we call him the Hart Foundation but Jimmy Hart's also managed him so they're all Hearts now right, right exactly well Brett was all like you know I didn't want to be a cowboy so I said to uh said to Vince why don't we take Night Hart and Jimmy Hart and put us together we all have Hart in our name and Vince said no and then he did it anyway <laughs> that's basically what happened now at the beginning I remember this weirdness and I've seen this in a bunch of promos that the Hart Foundation was some kind of company or something like in the old, <laughs> in the old style like they're at like we're at Hart Foundation headquarters yeah. and all this shit in their Coliseum video they yeah. have like their headquarters and they're playing with <laughs> wrestling figures it's and just stuff. like literally like a side office right like in, in Titan Tower in t- probably Titan right Tower, and they're like yeah they're just playing cards and shit but that's an impressive roster right so he's got this hot tag team the Hart Foundation who were awesome throughout the 80s and they win the tag tag they and win of the course, tag titles. More belts to Jimmy here. Got heel referee Danny Davis. Right, they got a they got a ref in their pocket. Yep, and then he gets the honky tonk man when honky's like, "Am I a heel or a face?" Yeah. <laughs> now this honky tonk man is um, arguably one of Jimmy's greatest achievements. Right, I mean he's got the he gets the longest reigning Intercontinental Champion, and he's hugely instrumental to Honky's success. All I mean, the, really, all the little Lulu stuff. <laughs> um, Don't ever let him see it, Jimmy. Yeah. Look, I look like little Lulu. Look at the back of my Don't worry, Jimmy. Cover it up. You don't let him see it. You cover your head up. Don't you ever let him see that, Jimmy Hart. Yeah, that is just such a good pairing. And Jimmy Hart, now all of a sudden he's a colonel. That's how he became a colonel. Right. And this this also, this is, to me, another, like, a Sherry-like quality applied to a man, where it's like Jimmy Hart would do the thing where he would, you know, he's a colonel. Yep. Uh, he changes outfits. He changes outfits, right? Didn't he? He had another one too, didn't he? Um, with the nasty boys, he would be like, he'd have the leather, leather jacket, leather jacket, and <laughs> the biker real. shit. Like, and he would just always like whoever he was with, he would change, right? When he managed the Mountie, he had the red Mountie coat. Yes. When he managed Earthquake, they had the airbrush jacket. He he was unique in that way. I mean, he might be overlooked when it comes to how he changed he had, up his wardrobe. He had different outfits for every single wrestler. For Dino, he had yeah. the, 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 the French Canadian, yeah, the French French Canadian jacket. After Frenchie Martin was gone. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully. Yeah. Another thing that Jimmy Hart did, talking about gold, he managed the WWF Ladies Tag Team Champions, yes. the Glamour Girls. <laughs> Which, to me, is a hilarious pairing yes. because I love it because it, it's almost a, it's like an insult to Jimmy right. in a weird way because he's this... Of course, the little tiny man right. manages the girls, like not not somebody else. You know what I mean? Right. The, the, the pipsqueak does. Yep. And he had the gold lame jacket and all yep. that stuff, yep. remember? Yep. And freaking, this is just gold after gold. He, he yeah. managed tons of people with belts. It's true. It's remarkable. It, it really is. And like, even into the 90s, you know, Nasty Boys, like yes. I said. Uh, Money Inc. Uh, Earthquake and Typhoon. Earthquake and Typhoon. Well, they were they did, won the titles as faces. Oh, did they? Yeah. I thought the, the the first run was no, no, no. Uh, it was okay. after. But My Money bad. Inc. Yeah, Nasty Boys. He always he had almost, gold. He almost did that year. It's interesting. I think about it. He almost did the kind of sunny thing where he switched. He jumped to jump. He, he, oh, he, he absolutely did. Champions. He the storyline was that he screwed over uh, the natural disasters in favor of Money Inc. And that's right. why the disasters turned uh, 
turned face. Right. And then it all comes crashing down, and man, it hurts inside because he turns face in 93. Right. Now, we don't like this, but as it far... It stinks! I do want to say one thing. As far as Jimmy as a manager is concerned... He's this, crap as this a is, face manager. This is his Bobby and Flair moment where he, like, get, he gets a world champion at a, pr- at a price... Yeah, like, you know that, what I mean? that he's like, never good that he's ever not good again. anymore. And, uh, basically, Bobby's price is that he wasn't a manager anymore. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like the it's to me, it's like the lifetime achievement award. It's right. like get, getting to like sort of fake manage <laughs> the world champion. I don't, I don't like Jimmy as a face manager. I don't either. But the, the Hulkster crony and all that, just like yeah, Hulkster, get him, baby. Can you believe this, Jimmy Hart, manager of the Megamaniacs, baby, wearing the red and the yellow. We'd be remiss not to mention, though, this last into WCW. It carries and, over. But then Jimmy turns heel. Right around. And he the... joins the Dungeon of Doom, which is it's actually really funny because there's like the, the, the tail end. He's managing like the worst shit. Yeah. Honestly, the only the best thing he has is um, faces of fear. Faces of fear. But he also manages like a lot of the junk in, in Dungeon of Doom. Oh, he manages like Hugh Morris and yeah. stuff like that. And the. I think he managed Public Enemy briefly or something like that, God, didn't he? Yeah. But the thing about Jimmy Hart as a as a face manager, real quick, is that anything that made him good yeah. as a heel, you couldn't apply because like he can't be annoying with the megaphone because that would be mm-hmm. annoying, right? You don't want to really beat him up too much because he's supposed to be the face, right? right. Like all the good qualities about him, you couldn't have. Yeah. And now, to be fair, this this was about what three years or something in, in the long run because by 96 yeah. he turned heel again. It wasn't like the majority of his career. No, it wasn't. No, I mean, no, no, we I always understand. crap on it. I'm just saying that it, it does suck. It's because it's just so yellow and red and in your face, you know, when he's with Hogan. And I it's just, just don't like the like, I bring crummy. Hulk Hogan's friend forever. <laughs> Like retconning. In 93, like, they yeah, say like, that Literally, he like always managed people that fought Hulk sometimes. Like, when they bring him into WCW, his longtime manager, Jimmy Hart, or It's whatever. so annoying. It's like, f- shut the fuck up. Like, right. It's just really irritating. Though, doesn't Jimmy, towards the end of his WCW run, become more neutral? He does. Doesn't he turn face again, or no? Is that I it? I think... Well, he did a behind the scenes, so sometimes you would occasionally see him like helping breaking up yeah. a fight or something, or like you'd see him in the back, like because he became like a director or whatever yeah. he did. Like he was in Gorilla essentially in yeah. WCW. Yeah, because he was there for so long, yeah. he knew the business really well, right? And you know, he wrote all the music. I mean, we, he did. That, it doesn't really apply doesn't to apply. his managing, but I'm just saying he wrote a ton of theme songs uh, right. for both promotions. Yeah, and I think Jimmy Hart, just in general, he's he's a guy good that talent. um good talent and. He's always welcomed in the business. I do like how he never burned his bridges with anybody. No. Like, I mean, honestly, like Vince brought brings him in every now and then for stuff. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I mean, he's just kind of always around and he's kind of reliable, right? It's just like a guy that you can bring in and it's like, Jimmy, we're promoting this thing, uh, the new Mattel toy line. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Like, yep. he'll just be like, hey, yeah, baby, I'll help. <laughs> like, you know, like, it's just like, he's just that kind of, he's just that kind of, he's guy. Just that kind of figure in yeah. the industry. You got to stay in school. You got to study hard. And one day, if you do that, you might be on top of the ladder, just like Jimmy Hart is. <laughs> and he seems like a real nice guy. Right. Exactly. I've never really heard a bad word about him. Yeah. I, I Honestly. Honestly. Yeah. Everyone likes to work with him. Yep. Um, and like I said, they bring him into this day. How old is he now? 77. Yeah, I mean, he's. I, to me, it seems he's just enjoying retirement, and you know, when they give him a gig, he he joins in. And yeah, make a quick if buck. Not, if not, he's you know just on the beach in Daytona, just you know, <laughs> baby, 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 babying <laughs> over his piano. You know. <laughs> All right, so that's Jimmy Hart. I think it's ranking time, right? Yeah, sure. All right, to run down the very extensive list that we have so far, one more time at number one, Sherry Martell, 
number two, Paul Heyman. So J.J. Dillon Quinn is clearly number three, but let's talk, <laughs> talk about why. Well, I mean, I think he I is. Think there's, there, there's a possible, very slim possibility that we could argue with Heyman and J.J. Dillon. I'm going to put you off the set. Now, I want, I want to say this. How is, no, how? Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. J.J. Dillon was like a pure manager for a very long, like a decade at, at the very least. Like most of the ish, 80s. Ish, yeah. Like he, the early 80s, he managed like yeah, every other single people. fucking heel in the company. Stop managing around 89. Right. So yeah, the the 80s. For the most part, um, he was associated with the biggest, most successful faction in his company. He was. He technically, if you think about it, he managed every single champion at one point. He did. Every single belt. Agreed. From a management perspective, that's pretty fucking good. And they made a lot of money. Agreed. <laughs> K-Fob. Agreed. And in real life, honestly. But was he the catalyst of that, or was he just, you know, kind of I mean, you could say he was along for the ride, but, um, you know, it's not like he didn't contribute. It's not like he's just a stand-around kind of manager. He got Fair. involved. He, Fair. He was a guy fans wanted to see get his ass whooped. Fair. You know? But a lot of this can be, not all of it, can be applied to Paul Heyman. He was right. a successful manager. People wanted to see him get his ass kicked. Heyman's a better promo. Yes. Clearly. Than J.J. Dillon. I, I'm so, I, what? I, I, think you, I think you really underestimate J.J. as a promo guy. Now, I don't know about that. I think it's just not as profound as Paul Heyman. Let's put it that way. I, 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 I'm just, my point is, I don't think J.J.'s bad. He's not as rotund as Paul Heyman. I'll yeah. give you that. I don't think J.J. is good either, though, Quinn. I don't know. <laughs> But they had Rick, fl- every promo in the stable besides Ole Anderson, and even yeah. Ole's okay, was better than J.J. Rick Flair is better than J.J. Arn Anderson is a better promo yeah, than J.J. he's also in a faction of people. Tully Blanchard is a better promo than J.J. The only one that's JJ. worse than J.J. is Ole. Ole's good. I don't like his promos What about ever. Le- 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 Lex like- Luger? <laughs> Well, Lex Luger, <laughs> I, I never thought Lex Luger was a good promo. A few days off of the Snickers bars. Yeah. <laughs> it was a close party. He, he's, he's funny because of his weird, like, idiosyncrasies <laughs> and, like, what, like, the stuff he says is just he's kind so of good. strange. I, like, I love that, Luger. To me, that's, that's Luger's appeal, but it doesn't make him, like, a good promo. I understand, Quinn. Yeah. But you know, it was a closed party. Truth be told, though, when you have three guys in your stable that are better talkers than you. Right. Let's be honest. I'm just saying that's yeah, well. It's hard too because JJ before that he was with guys who sucked at talking, like Abdul the Butcher. Yeah, and like Buddy Landell. And like, <laughs> don't make fun of Buddy Landell, Nature Boy. <laughs> don't whole, make fun of all him. that shit. You know, the, I always thought that was so funny that JJ Dillon like managed him yeah. while he was managing Flair. I know. But like there was this weird like Buddy Landell's like yelling, "I'm the real Nature Boy," and like fuck Rick Flair and JJ <laughs> Dillon would kind of like sit on the side, no comment about well, it. Like suddenly, That's and his he's meal ticket. Yeah, well, because he at that point he's like technically only Tully's manager, so like he's associated with them. And there's oh, this right, weird yeah. like overlap for like just a couple months. Like I always like that kind of crossover yeah. and how the whole genesis and the organic formation of the Horsemen. I right. always like that. Yeah. Okay. So, but promo, promo wise, I'm still going Heyman. If you want to go Dylan, be my guess. What other criterion do we have here? I mean, they both took a good shit kicking. Yeah, they definitely. Were, uh, prolific. Here's here's where we run into maybe a bit of a an impasse here. Paul E. Dangerously, yes, right, and Paul Heyman are really two different segments of the man's career as a manager. It's true because the Paul E. Dangerously, you know, from the late '80s to the early ish 90s in ECW was a, a bit different than the 
big fat waddly Paul Heyman, yeah. you know, advocate where he manages like one guy so at a I, time. I think to most people, oddly, I know this is going to sound weird because I don't think he's as good as he was in the Dangerous Alliance. But I think to a lot of people, what they know, Paul Heyman, I'm Paul Heyman, the advocate for Brock Lesnar. And that's ba- the Barack Lesnar. Yeah. And, and when he managed uh, CM Punk, right. like those t- those are the two like, you know, the big ticket items for Paul Heyman, the manager, not the owner of the ECW. That's the other thing, because his yeah. middle period of his career, he was just Paul E. in the hat yeah. as the owner of ECW. <laughs> like you know what I mean. Headset on. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm fucking running. With the leather I'm in gorilla running the company. <laughs> yeah. You know? Right. Uh, now, that said, he managed Brock. He still does. Yeah. We... Sabu, I guess is like... Sabu. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a big deal. We talked about Brock last time on the rankings, and... How you you were pretty convinced that Brock would have been Brock no matter what. I would have. I other yeah. people agreed on, no, I on the boards too. I, I'm just saying. I, I know. I'm, I'm, t- I'm making a point that other I wasn't people al- agreed with me. I'm just saying I wasn't alone. It's not like some rogue opinion. Is I, my point. I think CM Dump would have been CM Dump without Paul Heyman for sure. One hundred percent. I think there's no question like about the that. Heyman was like an exclamation point off the pipe bomb. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it was like, oh, and fuck you all, Paul right. Heyman, who you fired. He's my manager now. Now, but don't you think the Horseman still would have been just as successful if uh, another manager was there or without one? Um, I suppose. But, well, here's the here's the proof is in the pudding, right? And when they got the Mishima guy, that, that <laughs> shit sucked. Like, <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fair. Uh, uh, it's like, I'm just saying. I will give that, you that. To me, that, that proved, hey, maybe that J.J. Dillon guy maybe was kind of like, he added something. <laughs> Do you just use Mishima for any Japanese name that you can't remember? Well, I always forget if that guy is the guy that was also the prez of WWE. No, that's Shashi Shinma. Right, but then who is Don't, the, doesn't who, matter. Who is the guy that, <laughs> don't that, that worry managed about it. the horseman who owned the, the Japanese company? Do you or really want to know? I don't remember him. <laughs> What's his name? First of all, you're talking about Yamazaki Corporation. Yamazaki, Let's clarify Yamazaki for the fans Corporation, here. Uh, Soto? What, what is his name? <laughs> Soto? Louis Soto. Yeah. No, it's uh, Hiro Matsuda, Quinn. Hiro Matsuda, The guy sorry. that trained Hulk Hogan. Right. Broke but his th- leg. that guy sucked as, <laughs> yeah. as the manager of the he Four Horsemen. He did, you're but right. Let's be fair. You're right, you're right. Yeah. Now, to be fair, the Four Horsemen had other managers, too, like Woman and um, Miss Elizabeth. They're not managers. And, and also uh, Deborah. Are, are they booking the flights? Well, for their respective men, they were. Let's be fair. This is really tough, though, because now you're starting to convince me, which is really irritating me, because... <laughs> I always thought of J.J. Dillon. You've made too many good points, which really is bothering me a real lot here. We might have to just stop the show now and continue it next week. But at the same time, I think ability-wise, talent-wise, Paul Heyman is much better, much more engaging and entertaining than Paul Heyman. I mean, than J.J. Dillon. Sure, but the problem is, is Paul Heyman didn't focus all his efforts on managing people. But that, that could be... Viewed as a positive in the sense that he was so good at it without focusing on it all the time. I want to put it out there, and maybe it's controversial, but I think people have a hard time separating Paul Heyman from the manager and Paul Heyman as the genius who made ECW, and they merge the two things together, and they say, oh, well, he's also the greatest manager ever because ECW. Like, which doesn't make any, those things don't relate. Some people may do that. I don't think you, are, you or I well, fall into that. Well, because we're being forced to, we're in this box here where it's just yeah. about managers. But a lot, of box. Pe- a lot of people look at his whole career and they lump it all as the same thing. I agree. And I think the whole point of this is we have to distill that. We have to separate right. the manager from the, the owner of ECW and Booker. I, yeah, I think we've done a fair job of that as right. well. 
I think Paul Heyman's just overall better. I don't know. I, 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 he, I, he wasn't with something that achieved the success of the Four Horsemen. Yeah. But, I mean, if we're going to go off that, then you better be prepared for some Jim Cornette type well, stuff if see, he made this it. This is what I think. Is This is my personal opinion. I think Heyman is in Cornette tier, where JJ is like a closer and maybe definitely not as good, and maybe even below Sherry. But he's more... I think of him like a Grand Wizard or a Lou Albano, like that kind of guy. Like a it maybe closer to Bobby Heenan, but no, nowhere what? near as good. He's not but like a- I'm saying. Like he's that he's that guy that's one of the. He's like a three philosopher of WCW, like oh, kind of like God, you know stop. Jones and and JJ Dillon. Stop it! Don't bring up Paul Jones. I'm just saying. Don't like, that's how bring he- up. Paul Jones. That's Gary how, Hart is better than JJ Dillon. That's how Dillon. they used him. Is my point is JJ Dillon was the top tier manager. That's unfortunate. Gary Hart is better than JJ Dillon Gary as a Hart, manager. Gary Hart's like the Jimmy Hart. No, no, <laughs> and that, no pun intended. I like, know, but Bobby's I think, the JJ. Gary stop Hart it. is stop Jimmy right Hart, now. and stop. and like fucking slick. No, is Paul no, Jones. JJ is Harvey like, Whippleman. He is not going <laughs> no, above Paul. <laughs> he's not Harvey Whippleman. Don't go there. He is. Uh, he's Harvey Firestein. Yeah, <laughs> gotta call my mother. Yeah, he's not going above Heyman. I can't do it. Okay, I'll I'll concede. I, I can't do it. I don't think it's as close. I, I definitely That's think fine, he's better Quinn. than fucking Cornette, though, J.J. Dillon. Oh, God, that'll be fun. I'm yeah. sure Cornette made the list, but yeah. let's, we're not going to try to think about that now. The, the, listen, the main reason I'm doing it, I'm just basing it on characterization, talent, and overall ability. I think Dylan is okay. I think you, if you went back and really looked at J.J.'s career, mm-hmm. like, like I'd I fall think, asleep. I know you don't want to, but I think, three would, days. I would think you would begrudgingly like respect what he did. He was he was pretty good actually. J.J. Nightquillen. I'll I, see. I'm just thinking of guys like think of guys like Mike Mills who are more invested in the Crockett product. I, I think that JJ Dillon is, you know, a top tier top flight manager to them. He's crummy. <sighs> and he's number three, unless unless you're gonna He's about to be number four because <laughs> Jimmy Hart's way better than him. Yeah. All right. So we're okay with Dylan at number yeah. three. I just think Paul Heyman is more dynamic, more fun right, to watch. Yeah. Uh Dylan maybe was part of an angle that drew more money, but I don't think it was really because of him. That's my. That's okay. what I'm hedging this on. Fair enough. But not that he didn't contribute. Yeah. You're correct that he did. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Jimmy Hart may have a shot at number one, but Ooh, we got to start I... with Dylan. Okay. We got to start with Dylan. So Jimmy Hart is just, to me, he's just more involved in every way than J.J. Dillon. Like, he was just, because J.J. Dillon's character didn't really lend to doing that. No. Jimmy Hart is, like, purposely supposed to, like jump all over the apron fucking yell all loud yeah. and like an asshole and like a million different outfits and all this bullshit like, he was so good if you ever see some of his memphis stuff which i'm sure is sprinkled throughout this segment uh he like was a fucking race car driver he's got a <laughs> helmet on all the time and shit like, he was such a feisty fiery talker i mean yeah. in wwf too but especially in memphis and just good at drawing heat uh, the megaphone gimmick was was awesome. No one had done that before Brilliant. that I know of, right? I like that he also painted a mouth with like teeth and shit <laughs> yeah, in the megaphone. Right. Nobody ever talks about that, but just, it's, it's awesome. Just what a good way to draw heat, right? Yeah. Just be annoying with a megaphone. Right. Brilliant. We hate when fans do it. Remember the Royal Rumble? It's annoying. Yeah. It's very annoying. Uh, not only that, he the way we were talking about the way he changed up his look mm-hmm. for each wrestler, he really seemed like he was a guy like a Bobby Heenan. That really seemed like, look, whatever happens in this match really matters to me. Like, this guy, my guy's got to win. Yeah, he's got a style 
too. Where uh, even a style of talking that's distinct, where it's like, "Yeah, baby, my guy's gonna win, baby." Yeah, like you know, like but like you knew, like no, this Jimmy, like you didn't even have to look at the screen. You knew Jimmy Hart was talking, right? Very you good know, point. You knew, oh well, definitely, like he's definitely either with the Nasty Boys or like the Rujos or yep. some shit. Sure. Like you, you don't even have to look. Is my point, and to me, that's like very distinctive, right? You can just hear him. Good and, point. You know, it's like my Mountie, baby, he's gonna get you. <laughs> Bounty, bounty, bounty! Yeah, stuff like that. Uh, but does his face turn at all hamper his chances here of success? Honestly, for I always thought it was just a courtesy. Sort of, it was. It was. It was just like let's give Jimmy the world title for a minute. Yeah, I mean he barely is in WWF in '93 anyway because Hogan's barely yeah, there. So it, to me, it was always a courtesy run. Yeah, and the first year and a half in WCW, but like he also no one, technically managed Brutus the Barber Beefcake during that it's time. It's even worse. Yeah, it's, all of that is bad. It's also simultaneously we can say he managed the Zodiac because of that should have too. But he did. Yeah. Um. So he's better than JJ Dillon based on what? Based on just I think impact. I mean JJ Dillon, like you said, the problem that you always run into with JJ Dillon is that the Horseman technically didn't need him, even though like. You saw that he yeah, was like, he was a contributing factor later, but it, like overall, the Horseman still would have succeeded. Probably just wouldn't have been it. Just wouldn't the ambiance wouldn't have been the same. That's a good way to Dillon. put it. He like, added ambiance. Yeah, like that's all. Right. Were the, the, the Horseman would seem not that they wouldn't have seemed as a big deal, but maybe a little less of a big deal. Right. JJ Dillon made them seem like oh, they're Richard. You know, there's a there's a company here or something right. going on here. Yeah. But with Jimmy Hart, I mean, we're talking about being involved in the Andy Kaufman feud, which was a big deal and drew a lot of money and, or at least a lot of uh, attention. The thing that Jimmy Hart could do that a guy like JJ, well, I shouldn't say that even because JJ Dillon got his ass whooped too. But I think Jimmy Hart, even to a, a further effect, is like he could do stuff like get his head shaved or like get his pants torn off. Like he could shield his guys in a way where you felt like the some kind of revenge was being taken because it was being taken out on the proxy of Jimmy Hart. Right. You know, and, and he did it more. Fair. Yeah, that's yeah. all. He did it more. Uh, he managed a lot of champions, which we probably didn't even name all of them, but he managed a lot of champions. Yeah. He was, his best pairing might be Honky Tonk Man. I right. think they needed each other. I don't oh think God. Honky it, has the run he has without Jimmy. Watching this Honky run over the pay-per-views, it, it really... Um, points out how big of a deal in that run Jimmy Hart was. Yeah. Like, bigger than J.J. even was in the Four Horsemen. Yeah, Honky needed him there, I think. And Honky's a great talker, too. And but Well, because pairing, the thing is, Honky Tuckman is a guy you want to see really get fucked up. Yes. And the greatest part about that was is they could delay it, but not piss everyone off by feeding Jimmy Hart to one of Honky's enemies. Yeah. Like, and then Honky conveniently comes after it all yeah. happens to make the save. Good and then, point. and then Honky's like, this is so screwed up. You mess it. And Jimmy Hart, you didn't, right. you're not supposed to do that to my manager, <laughs> you know, like, you know, and then Jimmy's, you know, just selling it. Like, you know, he took the hit for Honky, but yep. he's also like oddly loyal to him. Yeah. But he yeah. loves the Honky Tonk yeah. man. Yeah, exactly. I think the Hart Foundation benefited tremendously from Jimmy Hart right. in their heel days mm-hmm. and their face days because they were feuding with him in the exactly. Rujos. He, he gave it back. You yep. know, he paid it back to them. The Rujos with him was a great pairing. Yep. Jimmy Hart and Earthquake was a really good pairing. Yes, because very good. Just yipping around Earthquake like a little chihuahua. <laughs> literally, you know? literally running circles around <laughs> yeah. Earthquake while Earthquake's doing the Earthquake jump in yep. the center of the ring. Like brilliant, right? Yeah, with the megaphone on the like the siren mode. Yeah, horrible. We forgot to talk about siren mode. Yeah, it's like it's rare in the later days. It's like more common in the earlier when eighties. He, when he had Terry Funk, he fucking did it a lot. <laughs> yeah, like, what was that? Yeah. By the way, yeah, what Terry and Hoss pa- Funk. Where's that? What is that pairing? By the way. <laughs> just 
Why not? That was always the weird one to me. It's like, right. why is it? I don't know why. It just seemed like, I don't know, like Slick or Bobby the Brain Heenan seemed more natural with them. But I Jimmy Hart seemed yeah. funnier. Like, <laughs> like, it's just so silly. Uh, and honestly, I know we don't really like them much, but Money, Inc. probably would have been a lot worse without Jimmy Hart. Well, Money, Inc. stunk. So, they, <laughs> Jimmy, actually, they got worse when they didn't have Jimmy Hart. That's true. Like, In 93, ugh. more aggravating. Money, Inc.'s a piece of shit. Like, I'm sorry, everyone. Like, you need to, like, everyone... Just everyone thinks it's so good. Watch, go back. I dare you to watch every Money Inc. match over they're again. You heels. want to be bored for fucking hours? But they're good heels. Yeah, they're okay. They're good heels. Anyway, now Jimmy Hart versus Paul Heyman. I actually think Jimmy Hart's better. Like, yeah, I agree. Uh, Jimmy Hart is like to me. He's like in the pantheon of managers. I, like he's the, on the Rushmore, probably. Yeah. I think he'll stay top four. I think. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think Jimmy Hart is one of the best of all time. I agree. Um, here's the thing. I I know we're just quickly jumping. But That's okay. I, I, I just we know he's better I, than he, Dylan. He's, he's we know he's better than Dylan. He's got to be better than Heyman because well, based I, on what? Just in a, a completely devoted career to it. I mean, I keep saying this. I think that Heyman's biggest weakness is because he just took like a fucking large break I, I, from yeah, it. But like, I mean, that, it can't be held as a strike against him, can it? He doesn't have as big a body of work. Like, well, it, he's it, got a big body now. Yeah, I know, but. It, it, all after after his his <laughs> listen after his you know run in WCW he, he only managed now. he only managed like two people <laughs> like ever again well, well you mean after ECW especially yeah that, that like yeah he managed CM Punk Brock Lesnar Cesaro that time like <laughs> that one Curtis Axel don't Curtis, forget oh sorry uh, well that was a piece of shit so but he's still one of the all time talkers I think I Agreed. think he's a great talker but does he beat the mouth of the South. Mouth of, uh, well, Mouth of the South can really he can muck it up. <laughs> Jimmy is very unique in the way he talks. Yeah. I don't know that he's as I don't know that Jimmy Hart conveys intensity or anger. It's but not wh- the point of him though. But you're right. It's, it's to be annoying. It's to be annoying. He, it's a completely over. different character. You're you're right about yeah. that. He's not supposed to have this, you know, extensive vocabulary and talk like this and yeah. they get really sweaty the way yeah. Paul Heyman does. But Jimmy Hart is just supposed to annoy Give the, the man a do-rag. He's <laughs> supposed to annoy the shit out of you. He's supposed to make you want to come to the MSG show that so that you can see him get his head shaved or get punched in the face <laughs> or somebody break his megaphone right, or something. Right. Like, you know, like that's that's what you're supposed to get out of watching his promos. I agree. Like I think that he's I think he's number one, Quinn. As well, much as I love Sherry Martell, this is—I uh, I have problems with this. Well, because I don't. Uh, this Go is ahead. okay. This is what I think of is that. So with Jimmy and Sherry, the reason why I have problems putting him over is it's because I've actually seen matches where Jimmy and Sherry interact. Yeah, and there's something about Sherry that seems like better than Jimmy Hart for some reason. I don't and know specifically, about that. I think about Survivor Series '89. Where Jimmy Hart is almost subservient to her for some reason. But that doesn't mean like, anything. And I, because to me, they're very equal. They're they're both really annoying. They're both they they're both you want to see their comeuppance. They're both really unique. They're both very unique. They were. Um, they but, both are very like a yelly kind of style of of, yeah. of promo. Uh, Jimmy Hart though is clearly more successful. Although Sherry had great pairings, she only had a handful of them. Right, but they were always the top tier. Let's be fair. I know. They were the, the best of the best. Jimmy Hart constantly had gold. Yes. Just constantly managing champions. That's true. So Jimmy Hart, um, you can say that like he took guys that were not really known commodities and made them something even better than they were. Well, the Hart Whereas Foundation Sherry, being a sterling example. Sherry was usually paired with guys that were huge commodities, but Sherry kind of made 
she made herself stand out to the point where she convinced you that she was part of the success. Yeah, like, exactly. You know I mean? But she didn't manage a champion. Right. She, and again, well, she Harlem didn't need Heat. to. Okay, Harlem Heat. And that's she, a lot of championships right there. It was like, <laughs> what were they, like a hundred time yeah. tag team champions or some yeah, shit? Yeah, something ridiculous, yeah. right? Yeah. But she was always put with somebody established all right. Well, not Shawn Michaels. Yeah, well, Shawn brought, wasn't brought, established. That's the thing. Yeah, I guess Sherry can do that too. I mean, I don't know. Sherry's like more like how Heyman is, where it's like she's a put with the put with the right person constantly. You know, like yeah. you know, in a weird like kind of like Sherry's like she only works with the big guys. She did. Jimmy Hart will pick up any garbage off the side of the street, like the fucking honky tonk <laughs> band, and just like Jimmy Hart will just run with it. It's like I'm behind him, baby. Like, yeah, it's like, I know. Yeah, I guess Jimmy Hart would technically be a more accomplished manager then because he, he can take he can take garbage and turn it into gold. And he was just good with everyone he was with, I feel like, for yeah. the most part. I mean, Sherry was too. I just think that we have to find some reason Give to Jimmy put someone above. The credit where credit is due, right? I think it's Jimmy Hart, and I think, again, let's not sleep on his Memphis career. was really good I mean, at yeah, it. he was involved with Andy Kaufman. That's not it's a nothing huge to feud. at. And uh, feuding with King managed Eddie Gilbert down there and did a lot of good things. I okay. love Sherry. Yeah, I'm glad to see her get her due, you know, and that she got voted in and that we were able to, to find a reason to put her so high. But I think she's going to remain very high, to be honest with you. I, I think so. But I think Jimmy Hart is our number okay, one right fair now. Enough. I'll right. give it to I'll give the nod to Jimmy here. Yeah, I think he deserves it. I really do. I think he has a very good. He is just like such a thread. If you watch WWF from 85 to 93, he's, he's always constant. around. He's always around. Yeah, he's like, always good. He might be in. He might be one of the rare people that and you can only say this about so many people, but he's probably on every single episode of Superstars, <laughs> right? Like, uh, like from fucking nineteen eighty five to like nineteen ninety two. He's always. Like, right. I, I'm not even kidding. He's like, always got guys. Yeah. He's always got something going on. It's weird too. Yeah, his stable never really dwindled to huh? like the very end. Like yeah, when, only, with Hogan when he was just with Money Inc. and then yeah, yeah then he turned and he yeah. was with Hogan. Okay, so that's it. We're locked in for the four on the board. Yeah. All let's right. Do it. So, folks. For week two here on the Royal Rankings of Managers, at number one, congratulations to now the best manager of all time, Jimmy, Mouth of the South, Colonel Hart. Yeah, baby! <laughs> number two, sensational Sherry Martell. Still up there. Still very I think, good. I think she'll be strong. Number three, speaking of up there in weight, is Paul <laughs> Heyman. Can never and, let it go, can No, you? I have to do something. He let himself go. And at number four... Jay, Jay, Dylan somehow got voted in. What? Must be nice to He's be with good. the horseman. It's good. <laughs> Folks, that is our Royal Rankings. Be sure to let us know if you agree. If you disagree, let us know your thoughts. Do that on Twitter at OVP Podcast. Send us an email or do what everyone else is doing and join the group. But when we come back, it's time to take a trip down to the, not the mid, not the south, somewhere in between. Both. I'm not sure. Mid, yeah, mid and south. Both. We're coming up with Mid-South Wrestling right after this. I want to tell you something. If you don't mind me saying this, I'm going to shoot straight with you, and I'll tell you exactly why you're on the bottom and I'm on top. First of all, turn right around here to this camera. Get a close shot of this. Look at this red on this man's oh, neck right here. You mean that? Look at this. You no, guys come on. I'm shoot, wait a minute. I'm shooting straight with you. You want to know the truth? And I'll tell you the truth. When I was in the seventh grade of high school, man, I used to come out and see you at ringside, and I thought, boy, Jimmy Kent, he's quick, he's fast, he's sharp. Until I got to know you, man, you're slowly. You're complete. Okay. So look, well, wait a minute. I'm talking you, now. Well, you I'm helping the man outside. out here. Listen to me. Look at this. Look at this big fat Look at this big fat belly. Look at the big fat belly, man. You are ignorant like the people out here are ignorant. 
from now on, I'm going to be from Boston, Massachusetts, baby. That's where you ought to be from, maybe. But well, see, you, you fit in with all these. He fits in with these people out here. Now, did I not choose straight with him or did I not choose straight? You're ignorant. That's just the whole okay, thing. You're stupid, Jimmy. man. Just, okay. I'm through with you. You know, but I'm trying to help the man out. I'm trying to help the man out. I'm trying to help you out, man. Both of you interviews so terminated. Look at, look at yourself. Look at your boots, your pants. Look at look at your shirt. Okay, we've got plenty of action. Hey, come on, Jimmy. Jimmy! I'm gonna stop your head in! I'm gonna, I'm gonna challenge you to a match, huh? You don't get out you of here! Get men, you and, and your men never will appear on this television. Now get out of here! Don't hit him! Don't hit him! Jimmy! Now get out of here! I don't wanna have any more of this stuff. We're gonna take time out and uh, we're gonna. Out. I'll kill you, you know. Take time out and we'll be back. <laughs> Hello wrestling fans, it's Joe here, and while we're on a break, I just wanted to take a moment to shout out three friends of the show. Check out the wrestling podcast about nothing, that's WPAN, hosted by three guys that have actually worked in the actual wrestling business. I'm talking about Mike Crockett, Brian Malonis, and Brian Fury. They're going to bring their unique perspective as fans, but also as people that actually work in the industry to a very creative and entertaining podcast, the wrestling podcast about nothing. And then check out Greetings from Allentown, hosted by one man, Peter Wynn. He'll take you on a whimsical journey through retro wrestling's past. It's unique, it's quirky, it's greetings from Allentown. And finally, if you like your retro wrestling slathered in barbecue sauce, check out Mike Mills and Book in the Territory as they bring you the very best in the southern fried wrestling. We're talking about Smoky Mountain and the NWA. It's Book in the Territory. So again, our three friends of the show, the wrestling podcast about nothing, greetings from Allentown, and Book in the Territory. And welcome back, wrestling fans, to our Vantage Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. It's episode number 163. Quinn, we're reviewing something. Yes, we are. We are, folks. Uh, we still do that, as you know. Now, Mid-South Wrestling is what we're doing, and uh, <laughs> I know you have thoughts about Mid-South, Quinn. Yeah, um, it's, I don't know. It's like a wrestling company that's good, according to JR, <laughs> but I've like never seen actual evidence of it. I haven't like, seen ever. Like, We've watched some episodes. Yeah. Um, I, I guess we'll see if this episode changes my mind. Yeah, we'll have to see, folks. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's To me, it's Bill Watts land and fucking JR's, like, like oh, baby. Bill Watts is the best thing. The best wrestling promotion ever exists. And uh, apparently, I mean, it was it was a big deal in the 80s. Bill Watts bought the promotion from Leroy McGurk in 1979. Yes, that McGurk. Yes, the one that who, McGurk. The one who's the father of the ring announcer. Of Mike. Yeah. And, uh. Bill Watts was pretty, speaking of influencers, he had his finger on the pulse of a few things of pop culture because he integrated music, which we're going to see, yep. into a lot of his shows, music videos, like contemporary songs that were actually relevant. He also had the just like the quick, 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 like very pacing, well, like next match, next match, yeah. next match. Uh, and dare I say ahead of the curve uh, on Vince McMahon and the few others, uh, Mid-South and World Class were both very, very entrepreneurial and influential in terms of their TV production. Right. They they were really just trying new things, anything to get an edge, kind yep. of just the innovations wrestling needed, just kind of like how we were talking about Nitro in this episode. Exactly. Like just kind of like trying new stuff. Try new stuff, try to stand out. They also had a crop of stars that almost all of which eventually wound up in WWF. Yep, and I think that's really the the reason this didn't work out was because it's the only reason basically Vince was like, Hey, does everyone who work here want money? And they all were like, Yup. And they left. Like <laughs> Other than, like, Iceman King Parsons or some shit. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Right, though. I mean, but really, it's a who's who of wrestling in the 80s that was down here at one point or another. We're talking about guys like Junkyard Dog was a 
very big deal down here. Uh, Jake the Snake. Jake the Snake Roberts. Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Hacksaw Butch Reed. Ted DiBiase. Yep. One man gang passed through here. A lot of guys passed through Mid-South and were established in Mid-South. And that's where Vince McMahon was able to scoop them up from. So don't sleep on Mid-South. Uh, and hopefully we won't fall asleep on Mid-South yeah. here. I have no problem with it. I did not have a major problem with this show. It was fun. We'll get into it. But, you know, it's it's tough when it's a slice of a weekly episodic show. Right. Because you're really joining it in progress. I think that's always the problem with watching Mid-South is because that was another thing about it that it, it was known for was being very episodic. Yes. It was like leading you to the next episode. Correct. You know? It was a, uh, we need to watch again next week to see yeah. what happens and exactly. see what's going on. I think we've noticed that in all the ones. I didn't notice as much in this one, but... Um, no, but even so, a little bit. In the other ones we've watched, though, I've, I've definitely seen a pattern of like cutting it off at like something happening. Yeah. And uh, as much as we love WWF again, you can't say the same for championship in 83 that we've been going no, through. No, usually they give you the shit matches <laughs> at the end. Yeah. You know and it's I mean? just it's like, like uh, yeah, and here's this garbage Pedro match and we'll see you next week. Yeah. You know? It's like, why do I really want to yeah. watch again next week? I mean, we see hints of them starting to do it in 83 where Vince, like in the last match, is being like, oh, make sure you tune in next week. There'll be some big feature match. You right. Know? But there was obviously a reason why Watts' promotion was as successful as it was for its period of time, why it drew a lot of money, why it had a lot of fans, why it still has a lot of fans that fondly remember this period of time in wrestling. So we're going to integrate ourselves into that now and see what we think of Mid-South. This is Mid-South Wrestling Television, January the 3rd, 1985. And uh, we have a slap in the base type of intro there. Yeah, lots of wrestling slapping, angry fans shown, also like pies and yeah. faces for reasons. What's going it on? Felt here? like a sitcom opening with that shit. With the like it was just that slappy bass. Starring Marklin Baker. Yeah. Uh, hey, it's Jim Dugan, Terry Taylor. Ew. Yeah, and Terry Taylor's like in a I'm a sexy boy pose. Yeah. Like he's literally doing the Shawn Michaels from the magazine where he had the belt over his oh, dick oh, picture stop. pose. Ew. Like I'm not kidding. Like it just flies by never mentioned again then we get like a weird graphic of a guy holding a belt and we're welcomed by boyd pierce uh boyd pierce folks was a mainstay down there for a while and he normally wore these outlandish outfits but here he's in a normal suit for once hello everybody and welcome to this week's edition of mid-south wrestling television network i'm your host boyd pierce and we have a lot of exciting action and of course he's joined by the booker man himself there he is. Bill Watts. And honestly, he looks like a regional manager of like a Dairy Queen here. He looks yeah. like such a... F- it's like, yeah. I, <laughs> this is a guy... I like his face. I don't know what it is about Bill Watts, but I just always get this impression that he thinks he's a genius. He's not really. Like, he's, I mean, he was smart. He knew the he business. Was. But I just think he's... It's. I think a lot of people puff him up. You think? To the point where he believes it, is my point. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know enough about him. I just know that he had some... Different philosophies than he, other if people. If he was so successful, then why is he still not in business? Like, <laughs> I'm just... Well, Vince kind of just ate up everything, right? Yeah, but at the same time, he only had, like, you said, when did he buy this? 79. And then it merged into WCW in, like, 87 or 87. something? Eight year, eight, eight year run. It was a good eight-year run for the yeah, most part. I'm just, I, uh, he's hailed as, like, the greatest promoter <laughs> ever or some shit by JR, and I just don't see it. In the short term, I guess he had a, yeah, he had a successful run, but yeah. long term, no. Yeah. Uh, Boyd Pierce says, Quinn, that the ass man, King Parsons, will be here. And <laughs> yeah. seriously, folks. The popular ass man, King Parsons, is back this week on Mid-South. Yeah, I don't think he can say ice. <laughs> like, I just, I swear, I'm not. We're not trying to be funny. He literally sounds like he's saying ass man the whole time. Ass man. (laughs) Bill Watts decides to reminisce about his vacation in Hawaii for whatever reason. Yeah, (laughs) he goes on and on about this later, too, like like in detail. 
Like, right. a, like a lot of it. Right. And he's like, this is our 16th year. The Gates have grown. The talent is better. What a progressive man Bill it Watts is. Gates is weird. It's Gates. like the bragging. It's yeah. like, oh, I hope Vince is listening. Like, the it, Gates have grown a real ga- lot. Like, if you're a normal fan back in the mid 80s, you don't know what that, what he's talking when he says gate. Like, you literally, like that terminology is not known as well. So you're no. like, what the fuck? What is the gate? What is he talking about? The gate and the talent also yeah. he's talking about. It's yeah. strange. Uh, Watts then talks about how on Christmas, the Rock and Roll Express regained the tag titles. So apparently they work here. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. They passed through a lot of places, huh? I guess so. Watts was one of them. Mm-hmm. We then segue to a video tribute to the Rock and Rolls under I Love Rock and Roll by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. So we see them hanging out in a jukebox, of course, turning around stupidly. Then they sit on a car stupidly. This whole thing's really long. <laughs> it's really it is long. really weird seeing Ricky Martin look like... 29 instead of 72. Well, but Gibson looks like Charles Gibson here with that haircut. (laughs) Yeah. More jukebox, more car, and now we see some dancing at a local Elks Lodge, apparently. Oh, and some wrestling clips. And I gotta say, though, Quinn, you know, we gotta give Watts credit for at least doing music videos. Yeah, I like the use of music videos. They're good, and you know what I like about the early days of this is, like, they just use any music as, like, (laughs) fuck copyright. There's also, like, weird stuff in this video, like the fact that, like, while they're saying, put the dime in the jukebox they literally clip to them putting a dime in the jukebox yes but the funnier part is that that happens once and usually in a normal music video that would only happen once yeah. it happens twice every time she's yeah, yeah. Clip. Like, <laughs> put another dime in it and you see it yeah so they pull up to their home which is uh, I'm gonna assume they share this house because they're both pulling up to this house together yep. and we're really getting the entire freaking song here by the way Back to Watts, finally, who says that he loves rock and roll, too. I don't find that believable. Yeah, that, I don't see Bill Watts. bullshit. <laughs> this is a guy that doesn't want, like, going over the top rope. Like, get out of here. Or catering backstage yeah. or whatever it was. Yeah, God, his rules are so, like, arbitrary. I don't see him putting ACDC on in this car. Hell no. <laughs> Probably like country music. Probably. Anyway, Watts says, so. now for 1985, big proclamation here, there folks. There it is. Got to ban something, right? Yeah. <laughs> In this case, they're going to ban Dr. Death Steve Williams from bringing <laughs> Mr. Helmet yes, to Mr. ringside. We are going to bar Steve Dr. Death Williams from bringing Mr. Helmet to ringside anymore. Is it this like the, the ad hoc of Mr. Coffee? Is this like Mr. Bucket? Yeah. <laughs> what is this? Mr. Well, I'm thinking Helmet? Mr. Coffee because that was in the 80s, right? Like yes. That was a big famous coffee maker yeah, back then. Yeah. Mr. Helmet. Anyway, he says they've banned the two before, the chain, the tennis racket, and the steel chair, and they've received so much mail about this damn helmet. He said, doesn't he say something like the mail's good, too, about it? It's not bad. <laughs> yeah. We got a lot of mail, a lot uh-huh. of fan mail about the helmet. Anyway, we throw to our ring announcer, who is a grumpy young JR, who stinks at ring announcing, by the way. <laughs> this first event on Mid-South Wrestling is one fall with a 10-minute time limit. And then the red corner, Quinn, is Rick Oliver. Who? Like, seriously, who? Well, he was also known as Rip Oliver. You ever hear of Rip Oliver? No. I keep thinking you're talking about Cousin Oliver, but... (laughs) Robbie Wrist? Yeah. (laughs) No fucking anchovies, dude. (laughs) His opponent dances out to We Are Family, speaking of the music. The ass man, King Parsons. Why can't Boyd say ice? Like, why (laughs) is it so hard? Yeah, how does he say ass? If he says ice like ass... Maybe it's reversed. Yeah. He's like, honey, get me some ass. Like, when when he's talking about, you know, the... (laughs) When he wants an ice cube and his soda. Can you put soda. some ass in this drink? Can you put some ass in my coke? Because you're a fine piece of ice. 
for whatever reason, JR just announces Parsons twice. I don't know what that was about. Paul Fergie is our referee. <laughs> I don't know. We have a bell. Both guys box around to start. Lock upside headlock by Parsons. Off the ropes. Oliver tries a body slam. Flip out by Parsons. Sunset flip gets two. Body slam and an arm drag by the ass man into an arm bar. Yeah, because 1985, of course. It's a lot of arm in this show. Gotta work that arm. Yeah. Uh, Watts now talks about how Hacksaw Dugan will be here later. <laughs> Did Brother Love get that from Watts? That'd be because funny. Literally, like this is this predates that because, yeah. like, remember the if you recall, actually, because I, I had to do this for that little Brother Love video I made or yeah, whatever. Right. I went back and I was like, when was like one of the first instances of Brother Love? And I know it was on All Star Wrestling technically, but one of his early inc- challenge one one of his most early incidents actually was the SummerSlam thing where he interviews him, Brother Dugan, Brother Dugan. Like, yeah, like he. <laughs> He just said that, so I'm wondering if he got that from here. He might have. Maybe yeah. he just picked it up from Watts, you know, to be yeah. funny. Uh, we're still working the arm here, by the way, as Watts rambles on about how he recently saw the Von Erichs, Lord Bleers, and King Curtis Iacane. Why is he talking about this? Like, it's another company, though. Like, <laughs> it's not his company. But they're part of the NWA, I guess, right? Yeah, so it's I like, guess. whatever. I, well, is Mid-South part of the NWA? Wasn't I everything... I thought, they, I thought they were independent, actually. Wasn't everything except Vic part of the NWA? Mm-hmm. Mainly. Maybe. Except Vern, obviously. Yeah. Idiot Try- Vern. Idiot Vern. He needed to be in the NWA by the end. Remember they tried to team up in 85? Didn't work out. Didn't work out. Chops by Parsons, jumping headbutt, corner whip, back body drop. No one really cares. Nice drop kick, though, by the ass man in the body slam. He heads to the second rope and nails a really crummy clothesline for the win. At least it was short. Uh, and Boyd says, and the ass man is victorious. Yes, King Ass Man is victorious. <laughs> it's like King Ass. <laughs> King Ass, yeah, like Billy Gunn. Yeah, he predates Billy Gunn here. There you go. And the ass man is victorious. Bumpers, we go to break. Uh, this is the master tape, by the way, which seems to be the norm for Mid-South on YouTube. It's Man, always the master tape. I'm wondering if somebody just, like, dumped all their masters on YouTube. But I thought Vince owned all the masters. Here's the thing is, I don't think he gives a shit. <laughs> uh, nobody cares about Mid-South. Oh, it doesn't have Hogan on it? It's not, yeah, it's not who WWF? Cares? Yeah. Who cares? It's got Jake in red pants. It's like, who gives a shit? <laughs> Back to the desk now, where I notice that the frickin' ring bell is right in front of Boyd Pierce. I guess he's the timekeeper I also. Suppose. Uh, he's seriously quitting like the Ross Perot of wrestling. <laughs> this guy, he is. I have a chart here, but I show you about Jim Dugan and the ass man. Watts brags about how they recently went to Mexico City <laughs> to sign Chavo and Hector Guerrero and they promised them a title shot. By the way, this is good Chavo. Chavo yeah. Classic, not Chavo Jr. who's bad. But, yeah. yeah, Chavo Classic, that's Chavo. right. I want to say this right here. I Go really ahead. always thought, like, I was always so startled on how when, like, Chavo's dad came into WWE later on about how he was, like, way better than Chavo he ever is was ever like <laughs> even is. even as like an old man like he's like way better it's like, true like so now we get an interview from Los Guerreros here as Hector gobbles and gooks about how they want a fucking title shot. He Hector sounds exactly like Eddie, by the way. He really does. Like, very close. They look similar, too. They have a similar face. Now, is he, how is he related to they're Eddie? They're brothers. They're brothers. Yeah, okay. Eddie's they're, younger. They're not, he's not his uncle, it's a brother. No, they're brothers, but he's young. Eddie's younger. Gotcha. Chavo Classic says they've contacted their lawyers and they <laughs> need this title shot on TV or they're going to sue. And you know what? That's fine with me because Chavo apparently saw the ambassador to Mexico in Louisiana recently. Right. Or was it the Mexican ambassador to the U.S.? Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I love that whole idea, Quinn, of complaining to your government about this. Yeah. I'm sure the Mexican government cares about the Mid-South tag outs. I mean, I'm sure they're like, 
they're literally in the offices in Mexico City. It's like, we got to get those Mid-South Tag Team titles. Well, it's high on the list, Quinn. It's, it's like, like, number one, solve the drug cartel problem. Right. Number, number two, two Mid-South, Mid-South Tag Team. It's, it's really up there. Priorities <laughs> list. Back to Watts, who says, yeah, yeah, you're going to have your shot in two weeks. Chill out. Let's go to JR now for our next match, as he introduces the dynamic team here of Tim Horner. And Shawn Michaels. Yes, That's right, Quinn. You're boy. There he is. He is a boy here. He's Very 19 years old. Really paying his dues here. <laughs> he really is. He has a belly shirt on, by the way. Yeah. Like short brown hair. Baby edition over here. Crummy tights. Yeah, just like no, <laughs> just blue pants. They're like, terrible. White boots. Just He's like very young boy. Very young boy here. And then Mexican music fires up as Los Guerreros make their way out. And I love the theme because they're just so proud and loud about the theme, Quinn. Yeah, it's they're, true. They're so happy about it. Boyd Pierce says that the Guerreros are actually direct descendants of Pancho Villa. That's like me saying I'm the direct descendant of the first king of England because I'm part English. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, that, yeah. it's such a ridiculous statement. You can like, just say it and never prove it. You yeah, know? It's, it's so dumb. Like, Pancho Villa is like a, t- a long time ago before this. Aren't you related to Orson Welles, I thought, Quinn? Maybe, I guess, somehow. <laughs> I mean, you can really, like, you know, anybody can technically say that. Yeah, like, you that they're related to Orson Welles. If you go back far enough, you're <laughs> probably related to somebody. You know what I mean? That's yeah, true. Horner and Chavo start here. Lock up side hook by Chavo. Hammer lock reverse by Horner. Arm drag by Horner. Lock up again. Single leg by Chavo. Kick off by Horner and a kip up by Chavo. Quick schoolboy by Horner gets half a count. Both men up. Tag to Hector who clamps on a toehold. Watts just rambles on and on as usual. I hate his commentary. <laughs> I have more on that later. They have been together since childhood. They come from a wrestling family, and you see they know every skill. Chavo Guerrero was a former world's junior heavyweight champion. Hector Guerrero, they're tough guys. See that tremendous skill. They have all the skills. Horner with a head scissor escape. Lock up snap mare by Hector. Horner's back up. Lock up again. Side headlock by Horner. Nice flying head scissors by Hector, but Horner lands one of his own, and then a tag to Sean, who gets his own flying head scissors. Yeah, lots of jumpy crap <laughs> back and forth with tags. Yeah. Like, there's just tagging in and tagging out. The, the Guerreros do a lot of it, too. A lot of tagging. It's almost hard to call. Like, I, I was actually impressed with, because usually you tag us in there, always like, you're supposed to tag in and out a lot. These guys fucking in and out. Honestly, the Guerreros, really good. Yeah, surprisingly no, good I, I, I never under, don't understand why the older Guerrero brothers didn't get as much of a push as Eddie well Hector got pushed into a, a rooster suit right exactly well uh, he actually thought it was a good idea a turkey suit but remember, uh, remember it was good for the kids or whatever <laughs> he's so mad like to this day he's very it's upset like, the gobbledygooker was a good idea don't like, ever fucking make fun yeah, of it <laughs> the gobbledygooker was a good thing and the author of that idea deserves to be left alone that was meant for the kids not for the media, not for the adults that booed and jeered it and made it what it was and made it to possibly saying this one one of the worst gimmicks ever. You know what? It wasn't meant for you. Uh, Chavo's in now. Pair of arm, drag, arm drags by Sean. Mule kick, though, sends Michaels down. Irish whip and a Harley race Heine by Chavo. Tag to Hector. Side headlock. Snap mare. Leg drop by Hector. You, They are fast. This yeah. is hard to call. Yeah, it is. They're quick. I, I just gave up. I just said quick tags <laughs> at this point. I was like, tag in and out, whatever. you can say. Yeah. Tag to Chavo now. Irish whip with an awesome Northern Light suplex. Tag back to Hector, who gets a standing suplex. Tags in Chavo. Somersault dive off the top by Chavo Guerrero. Classic gets the win. Wow, Quinn. Sean jobbed. Well, I'm he's, impressed. He's not anybody at this point. <laughs> and it would be have, the last time. He doesn't no. even have long hair yet. That's true. No. <laughs> nice little match, though, honestly. That wasn't bad at all. Nice athletic contest. Honestly. Yeah. Seriously. 
Break time again, and we're welcomed back by bored-ass JR here. This <laughs> match is for the Mid-South TV Championship. First of all, in the ring is our TV champion, apparently, with Skandor Akbar. Speaking of the devil, Quinn, it's nature boy, Buddy Landell. Looking his usual shit self. <laughs> I like him. I don't Buddy care. Buddy Rydell or whatever. <laughs> I don't mind him because to me, he's kind of a cross between Ric Flair and Buddy Rose. <laughs> That's true, actually. Right? He's, he's like if Buddy Rose was skinny. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If Buddy Rose was a little more on the Flair side of things. Right. He's not bad, actually. Uh, in the red corner, fittingly, is the red rooster, Terry Taylor. <laughs> Yeah, looking very rooster-like. And actually, I'm kind of having like a shower thought moment as we think, because I was like thinking about what you just said about Buddy Landell. Yeah. Does that mean that like <laughs> Adrian Adonis, if if him and Buddy Landell had a baby, it'd be Buddy Rose? Yes. Like it's like the other way around. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's right. Buddy Rose is a combination of Buddy Landell and Adrian Adonis. Yeah. Fat Adrian Adonis. Exactly. Right. Uh, Boyd Pierce says that since this is a TV title match, we're going to have a 15-minute time limit for the TV title here, you know? Was there even a belt? I didn't see a belt. Yeah, there's Did Landell no, have a belt? I don't think there's a belt. <laughs> Did he lose it? it? He would a, do that. No, no, no. This is another thing. There's another company like this, and I forget where their TV belt was just, I don't know. Medallion. Yeah. Right? What is this, like, trend? I don't like, know. I don't understand. You're right. That's yeah. true. Yeah. But Buddy Landell would lose it, but didn't he always, like, injure himself, like, ice skating or something when it was is time to get real? a push? It didn't, wasn't it always something weird, like, he broke his ankles? I always found playing out that he's always around and then not around and then always around. Like, he always had, like, bad luck and he was, like, a klutz or something. I don't know the whole story. Someone <laughs> let us know. But. Not pushed because klutz. Yeah, like, because that's, like, just written... <laughs> In his wiki page. He just messed up. Bell's gone lock up. Landell backs Taylor into the corner. We get a clean break. Also, apparently, this was a fan-requested match via mail. <laughs> what is this? Like, the Coliseum video belt? Like, I'm not sure. Like, <laughs> it's funny. a weird thing. Watts talks about how the weather sucks right now. Oh, no, there's sleet. Oh, uh, whoops. Whoops. Uh, lock up again. Back to the corner again. But Landell with forearms and stomps. He tries a beal toss, but Taylor blocks. Lands his own. Side headlock takeover by Terry Taylor. As Watts is just rambling the hell on again and Instead of letting the match breathe, I hate it, Quinn. And this is the answer to a lot of your dream match mail. I want to congratulate the fans of Little Rock, Arkansas, recently for one of the cold, icy days when they came out. This is a time of year you never know the weather, but these wrestlers also are great, great troopers, and they get to these engagements any way they can. He's again all proud of Mr. Helmet being in. <laughs> Who cares? Like, stop talking about this. Like, it does. Nobody gives a shit. Like, nobody cares. Like, even Boyd doesn't give a crap. Boyd doesn't say a word. Yeah. Still in the headlock now, but Landell makes it to his feet. Shove off Taylor off the ropes. Leapfrog by Buddy. Hip tosses blocked, and Taylor gets one for a two count. Ass Man Parsons now wanders in me, for literally no reason. That's just another excuse to say Ass Man again. <laughs> you are the Ass Man. Lock up, wrist lock by Buddy. Taylor with a chop to escape and a headlock, but Landell tosses him into the corner. Body slam by Buddy gets two. Reverse chin lock now by Rydell. Watts is sure to point out, Quinn. I like this. That the Ass Man Parsons does not have a manager's license. Yep, you know. At least Gorilla would be happy yeah, about exactly. this. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what... All I'm thinking is Gorilla when he's yep. saying that. <laughs> Off the ropes now. Taylor gets a very dramatic sunset flip for two, but Landell stays in control. Snapmare by Buddy into a chin lock again. Meanwhile, the Ass Man makes faces at Skandor Akbar. Taylor powers up and elbows out, slugs away. Akbar hops up on the apron. Irish whip by Landell. Akbar sneaks a leg trip in, but Buddy can only get a two count. Irish whip again, but now Parsons trips Buddy, and Terry Taylor wins the TV title history's made? Yeah, there's no belt. Nobody cares. <laughs> like, he just celebrates, and it's like, did anything happen? Like, you're just like, you're like, oh, he won a match. Right. Like, you know what I mean? So, like, he's the new TV champion as he just 
hops up and down no, nothing he's not celebrating with anything and to show you how much they care boyd immediately throws to break he's like new champion terry taylor we'll be back right like it just slaps out yeah this is okay not great i've yet to be impressed quinn by terry taylor ever he just isn't impressive and, and honestly the tv title is something that that's the kind of thing you give to terry taylor like you know what i mean yeah, no, I guess so. It wasn't surprising. In fact, I was like, wait, was he the champion going in? I can't tell. Nobody had a belt. So Yeah, he actually was a, somewhat of a name down there in Mid-South. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's where Vince got him from, if he was elsewhere at the time. But he was a territory guy, and one of them was I mean, Mid-South. Terry Taylor's the kind of guy that wins the TV title or the national heavyweight title yeah, or right. like some shit like that. In fact, Terry is short for territory. Yeah. <laughs> territory Taylor. You Thank you very much. No, Western but- States Heritage <laughs> Champion or you know, know those kind of weird fucking belts. We gotta want to besmirch the guy as a worker. He's a solid wrestler, but he's so boring. Yeah. That's all it there's is. No, he's just boring. There's no gimmick to him no, ever. I mean, he, the Red Rooster's the best they could ever give him. Like, that's the literally it. Well, and terrific Terry Taylor. That's, that's that was just, horrible. That's normal Terry Taylor. And, just, then in, and, just, and don't forget, in New York Foundation version, Terrence Taylor. Yes. It's a very refined, the man of the 21st century or whatever <laughs> yeah, they whatever said. Whatever it was. Back to Mr. Excitement, Jim Ross here, who sleepily introduces our next tag team match here. It's Ted DiBiase and Dr. Death. All right, that's a team. Now, DiBiase is in a windbreaker. Definitely not a million-dollar man yet. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He does not look a like a million-dollar man. bucks yeah. at this point. <laughs> a few thousand bucks. Uh, their opponents, Quinn, are Private Terry Daniels. Yes. And Hacksaw Jim Duggan. That's awesome. I like Hacksaw. Yep, Terry Daniels in full military uniform. Duggan in full underpants, yeah, I like guess. Yeah, like the Long Johns. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. Uh, by the way, folks, just in case anyone really needs to know this, DiBiase doesn't have his beard yet. Yeah, I know some people care, you know, about the facial hair. He just looks like a nobody. He really does. He yeah. just looks like a greasy uncle or something like that. <laughs> he just doesn't look right. Uh, Dr. Death and Private Terry start here. Watts still says Dugan, like, incessantly, despite everyone else on the show saying it properly. Hacksaw Jim Dugan. It's upsetting. Shouldn't he know the name of his talent? I guess not. He, like, he doesn't give a shit. He's more concerned about Mr. Helmet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, he's sure to say that, right? Yeah. Daniels looks like an extra, like in an Abbott and Costello film or something. Or maybe an accountant or Barry Horowitz. I can't tell. <laughs> Like, yeah, seriously, like he looks like Barry Horowitz, like a, a little Barry Hart, like yeah. the '80s yes, version. He looks more like the Barry Hart version, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the mushy hair. Yeah. Uh, lock up and a wrist lock by Daniels, but Doctor Death just kicks out of it. Irish whip, running chop by Death, tagged to DBS. Irish whip and a back elbow, big rights in the corner. Daniels reverses a whip, takes down DiBiase, but Duggan just storms in. Duggan is great. Like he's all jolly. He's the Duggan we know. I like, love Duggan. <sighs> such an underrated talent. Like people just look. I think Jesse really. I know it sounds <laughs> stupid, but I really think he like did damage to his reputation look at that snot hanging out just of his nose note, he just it's one of those situations where if you just say it enough people, people believe, believe it. it yeah yeah but Duggan also oafed it up quite a bit in the, in the late 80s early 90s that's like, the point of him though he, like he's not supposed he's supposed to be rough around the edges but like that's supposed to be a, an advantage not yeah, like something you make fun of but he kind of turned himself into a caricature in yeah. WWF don't you think because in like the 80s and even early WWF once he got that king thing like that's like when he looked really goofy <laughs> and once he got the lighter blue tights because when he had like the dark blue tights yeah, in WWF he's more true. serious the navy. yeah the no. navy <laughs> right <laughs> anyway he cleans the ring here as Watts decides to say Dugan like 17 more times he and Hacksaw Dugan have no love lost Hacksaw Dugan Hacksaw Dugan and the ring gets cleared I'll tell you when Dugan's eyes go to sparking Hacksaw Jim Dugan we got a big announcement next week Dugan was received a tremendous award tough 23 inch neck Hacksaw Dugan Dugan 
Dugan. DiBias back in, lands a knee. He tries to ram Dugan into the buckles, but Hacksaw reverses. Irish whip by Dugan in a nice clothesline. Dr. Death wanders in, gets clotheslined as well. So the heels all bail to regroup. Lock up in the corner here. Dugan lands some punches. Hip tossed by Dugan. And I just got to say, like, I'm just talking about Watts. He's just like one run on set. And he's like, there's Dugan. Big, rough, tough Dugan. Of course, next week, Dr. Death will be here again. And no more Mr. Hell, but Ted DiBias. <laughs> West Texas University. His dad was Mike. I'd like to thank the fans of Dugan for braving the sleet. Horrible. That, that, he is that bad, though. Just nonstop. He's like actually worse than Vince. Yes. And it's he's like, horrible. Again, it's another owner just sticking his head into commentary. Yeah. He's not good. He's not good at it. He's honestly not good yeah. at it. Uh, tag to Dr. Death. Waist lock is reversed by Dugan into a hammer lock. Tag to, <laughs> to Daniels here, who puts on a devastating wrist lock and just promptly gets his ass kicked. He's like, I think you were telling me off camera, he's like the jewels. Yeah, he really is. <laughs> like, he just comes in, just like walks into offense. It's yeah. like, that's totally... That's Jules Strongbow in a nutshell. It's like it's like the Chief does everything in this case, Duggan, and yep. then you know I tag in, and then my partner just gets killed <laughs> yeah, immediately. It's real rope body slammed by Williams and a tag to DBS. Irish whip by Teddy. Need of the gut. Watts randomly says Duggan correctly one time, and then Dugan immediately afterwards. <laughs> I don't know what goes That's, through this man's mind. It's weird. It's like he he was like, "Whoops, I said it right." <laughs> yeah. Both men down. Dugan drives a knee to DBS from the apron here. Tag to Williams. Dugan storms in anyway to kick both heels asses. DiBiase loads up his glove, though. Nails Daniels with it. Williams gets the pin. This is fun enough. Okay, yeah. wasn't bad, right? I don't Uh, know why Daniels was there, but... (laughs) He stinks. We go to break, come back to the best visual ever. It's very stern JR introducing Sheik (laughs) Hercules Hernandez. How many nationalities are always? Middle Eastern, Greek, and Spanish. That's amazing. Like, it's such a bizarre combination of things i love that i never knew about sheik hercules hernandez that's it's really, really funny. silly yeah he, and he's so like proud of being a sheik and by he's the way very he's very hercules oh like, yeah he, he's definitely that hercules very the, hernandez the, the, the one we know yep. you know he, he is not different at all no 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 herca uh, of course has scandal rack bar with them right his opponent is the north american heavyweight champion Brad Armstrong. And that belt is rather big, it's huh? It's very like he's, tall. It's like bigger than him. <laughs> Ridiculous. It's like 24 inches it's high than or his something. fucking like chest. Like, it's huge. Now, Brad Armstrong is one of the good Armstrongs. Is he? He's not Steve. I you can't know, tell all the difference. Oh, he's other good. Than Road Dog. But, yeah, Road Dog. Yeah. No, Brad's one of the. Brad Street. No. Brad Street USA. Yeah, from, yes. No, you remember him? No. The Freebirds? WCW? No, I, I know who he is. He's it's just good. Like, I always just think of them just being big jobbers on Saturday night every I know. week. Like, that's, like what I, that's what I remember them as. He's a good Armstrong. Uh, and the referee, believe it or not, is Pee Wee Anderson. He was down there. Uh, lock up to start here. They roll around on the ropes. Now Watts is saying Duggan properly again, by the way. Series of arm drags by Armstrong. Apparently, Brad Armstrong defeated... Ernie Ladd for this belt, which I didn't know Ladd was still wrestling. I'm that sure this was like the end of at Ladd's career, right? It's got a courtesy be. run because <laughs> within the next year he's a big event doing horrible commentary. Ugh, <laughs> horrible, <laughs> it's true. Herc bails out to talk to Akbar, then calls for a test of strength. Brad obliges. Herc gets a boot. Brad catches a second one, lands two beautiful standing drop kicks, then an arm drag into an arm bar. Herc gets up to a vertical base, uses a special move, Quinn, a punch. <laughs> I, I like I said, I did not. Mince words, he is the exact same Hercules. Punch like, and Hercules. It's punch a mania. <laughs> Corner whip, and he runs Brad into the post. Herc goes up to the second rope, lands a fist drop, which is basically a flying punch. <laughs> nice vertical soup play by Hercules, too. Watts is rambling on about Killer Cox and Dick Murdoch. Like, nobody, nobody cares. <laughs> shut nobody up. Nobody cares. He needs to shut up. <laughs> too much. Yeah. Just too much talking. Side backbreaker by Hercules. All slow, by the way. Yeah. Surprise small package. It's two for Brad, but Herc stays in control. Irish whip, head down. Brad kicks it. Brad with, brag with big rights yeah. and lefts, giving Herc a taste of his own 
punch. He, he's going to outpunch him. <laughs> yeah, might have to. Yeah. Irish whip by Braddy tries a dropkick, but Herc avoids. Snake eyes by Hercules on the ropes, and he locks in the million dollar dream. Or the shit door Umagi, as Watts. I'm not. <laughs> what did he say? He definitely said that. <laughs> shit right, door. He got, got the shit door Umagi on him. I'm like, whoa, what? What the fuck is that move? Like <laughs> the shit door. The shit door Umagi. <laughs> the shit on Umagi. Brad escapes by kicking Akbar off the apron. However, everyone just collides with Pee Wee now. So this is a great spot, by the really way. Really good spot. Akbar and Pee Wee and the two guys, all of them go down at yeah. once after the breakout of the shit door Magi. It looks good, actually. So Akbar comes in, kicks Brad in the head, allowing Herc to nail a power slam and head up top. But now. Ass Man Parsons wanders Ugh, out. Go away, Ass Man. Like, he's in every fucking match. He's like, a- every time. Like, seriously, go away. He's feuding with Akbar, apparently. I know, but, but I mean, no, this, you only have to do this once or twice, not every match. <laughs> he shoves Hercules off the ropes, allowing Brad to go for the pin, but Akbar wanders in for the DQ. That stunk. Uh, we go to break. <laughs> As I've realized, Quinn, Boyd Pierce's sole responsibility here seems to be throwing the commercial. Yeah, because he doesn't really talk. No, it's what? There's no room for him unless, to talk. Unless Ass Man comes out, so he can say Ass Man. Yeah. Other than that, it's just Watts with like one long sentence per yeah. match. Anyway, we're back where JR looks like he's ready to go home here. Same with me. <laughs> I'm ready to get out of here on this show. First is David Diamond, who is definitely not winning this match. Mm-hmm. His opponent enters with Friday. Not Kimchi. No. Which not. is, they're like the same person, but still. <laughs> what, what I want to know is why did they even bother changing the name? From Friday to Kimchi? Because Friday's in WF also. Yeah, maybe they wanted some kind of ownership of the WF version of Kamala. Yeah, but how do you like trademark a day of the week? <laughs> maybe they could, Maybe that's why. Yeah, maybe, okay. Maybe they're right. like, in WF, it's Kimchi. Yeah, because it's almost the same thing. The difference is Kimchi wears shorts. Yeah. and uh, Well, what? no, Friday's wearing shorts here. I'm sorry, Friday wears shorts. Yeah. And has like a camouflage jacket. Right. Whereas Kimchi... Or the safari the gear. The safari gear. But right. Friday has the safari hat. Right. I really don't know. Maybe I want to know. I wonder if the guy who played Friday owned... He had somehow, like, one, he's one of those assholes who trademarked Friday. The, who was Friday? I don't know. But maybe when he, like, didn't work for them, they were like, man, he's going to sue us if we don't change it. <laughs> like, I'm not kidding. Maybe. I also remember that match where Friday was, like, a ref or something that uh, one time. So many... In- Kamala's career is so muddied. He's like, all over. That's he's why. all over the fucking place. Everywhere. Which means Kimchi and Friday are all over the place. Yep. Like, it's just very confusing. Exactly. Yeah. And we both noted this, Gwen. His music is just, like, pots and pans playing. Oh, clanking. yeah. It's just... It's a- <laughs> Yeah, it's Kamala, the Ugandan warrior. He immediately attacks before the Vel with slaps and chops and a weird bear hug toss. Irish whip, horrible double thrust by Kamala. Mm -hmm. Off the ropes and a big splash gets the win in like 10 seconds here. Good. What a waste of time. (laughs) It's literally like 30 seconds. I know. But at least we can't complain about the pacing of the show. I know. At least it's quick. I guess I just don't understand why why is this not the last match? Yeah, the more point. Because there's literally like, I kid you not, when this Kamala match started, there was like five minutes left. Yep. And then they're like, after this Kamala shit, they're like, oh, we got another match. Yeah. Like, really I'm like, Wait, excuse in. me. <laughs> like, yeah. Back to JR, who looks like he's looking for his parking spot so we can get the hell out of here. Jake Roberts is introduced in his red karate pants, and he'll be facing Rocky King. Jake is very proud in these red trousers. And <laughs> yeah. by the way, we're, like I said, they, I can't believe we're, <laughs> there's, I'm looking at the time, like, there's like two minutes left. Yeah. What the fuck is this? <laughs> <I> like, <know. laughs> so Watts calls Rocky King Rocky Johnson whoops. as Jake, yeah, whoops, as Jake kicks his ass. His hair, by the way, is so greasy and hideous, Jake. It's like he got out of the fucking shower. I'm- 
I know. Body slam by Brother Snake, some uninspiring punches. He seriously looks like someone's neighbor after mowing the lawn in his getup. Uh, DDT gets the win. That was so rough. I know, I, it's like a second. I, it was literally like he like kicked him a lot and boom, like boom, boom, kicked boom, his boom, ass. Boom. Then he was just like, okay, DDT, it's done. Get a mild Jake chance yeah. for the heel Roberts here. As we go to the announcers, where Boyd just looks like an annoyed pharmacist at this point, <laughs> like still being here. They run down next week's show and again reiterate, Quinn, that Dr. Death won't have Mr. Helmet. Still bragging. He's still bragging that he banned something. Like, just shut up. I don't care about Mr. Helmet. Like, I literally don't give a shit. Just enough. <laughs> enough already. He said it like four times yeah. on the show. Anyway, Boyd is very jolly and very happy as he signs off. We get some credits here among them. Executive producer Bill Watts. Well, that explains things. <laughs> the director is Oral Link. What? what isn't it, that like, a toothbrush? Yeah, you mean the Oral B? Yeah. And the matchmaker... Grizzly Smith. Well, that explains the uh, Jake the Snake appearance. <laughs> the Booker. Yeah. Uh, this was okay. I don't know. Nothing was really bad, but matches were peppy. Nothing was really that good. And like I said at the beginning, it's always tough when you're just isolating one episode of an episodic promotion like Mid-South, but I don't know. It was a show. It was 100% acceptable, but also 100% mediocre. I don't know. It was, hun- it was like, okay, lots of stars. <laughs> I don't know. It just felt like a dead end for some reason. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know how else to put it. It just felt like Okay. The like, big angle was Iceman King Parsons interfering. You, well, if you believe Watts, the big angle was uh, Dr. Helmet or whatever. <laughs> Dr. Helmet, yeah. Prince I, Helmet. That was just, uh, like, it was okay. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, like, I don't want to make opinions about things I don't know, but I watched this show and it was okay. I feel like you have to watch like a month straight of this I don't want to, like, to understand what's going on. I don't want to hear Bill Watts. No, I think that's the biggest problem is Bill Watts and commentary is bad. I know he doesn't last the entire time. I know JR does it sometimes mm-hmm. and Boyd Pierce is likable, and he doesn't know how to say ice, but... <laughs> I think my favorite part was literally him saying ass man the whole <laughs> I think show. It was, it was like, really too. funny. That and uh, Watts saying Dugan, but yeah. only saying Duggan correctly, like, once. Also that weird music video. It was horrible. It was really... It bad. wasn't good, by the way. Yeah, I don't think we described it enough, but it literally, like, there was only two, like, sets that they had. One at the jukebox, and one with the car in front of, like, somebody's house. Probably Bill Watts' house. Probably, yeah, yeah. With the gates in front and everything. Yeah. And they just look at the camera really awkwardly. Yeah. Like, with, like they're trying... whole video. They're trying... <laughs> they're trying to make stern faces, but they just look constipated. It's nice of them to, um, talk about them, and then they didn't even wrestle on the show, so... <laughs> I'm just saying. Well, yeah. But overall, it was okay. Uh, let's get out of the South for next week, though. We got to get back yeah. up to something more Northern, I think. I okay. can't do this two weeks in a row. You know, well, we don't, don't say too Northern, because you never know, like, Grand Prix could, like, rear its ugly head again or what, something. on Prince Edward Island or yeah. whatever that is? <laughs> Where was that promotion? Somewhere like weird Nova Northern. Scotia or something. <laughs> I don't know. It was bizarre. It was weird. Maybe we will do a lot of Grand Prix one no, time again. No, please, no. <laughs> the place sucked. <laughs> <laughs> it was bad. But, folks, we hope you didn't think this was bad. We hope you liked it as we've romped you through yet again the world of retro wrestling thank you so much for listening and uh, you can follow us on twitter remember at ovp podcast email us ovp podcast at gmail.com if you want to support the show we would appreciate that patreon.com slash ovp podcast get the pay-per-view reviews wrestlemania 5 is coming out soon try it out and if you have itunes apple Podcasts, leave us a review and don't forget to join the group but until next week i'm joe Morata. that is hacksaw michael quinn and we are out of here see ya Mid-South, 
We demand the title shot. Finally, you're going to give us the Rock and Roll Express. Mexico's where we're at because we've come to you. Yes, we've come to you. Now we are demanding what is truthfully ours, the Mid-South Wrestling Tag Team titles. But are you going to put them up? Only one thing is in demand, and that is us, the Mexicans, coming to you. Right, Chavo? <laughs> Let me tell you something, Mid-South. You went to Mexico and you signed us. I have contacted our lawyers, and by now you should have about 12 letters on your desk demanding that if we do not get a title shot on television, we are suing and we are suing big. We're tired of it. Our people are tired of it. Our country is tired of it. And I have gone to see the ambassador right here in Louisiana to see what we can do about it because it is not just. You signed and you promised us a title shot and we are demanding it, not only here, but on television. Howdy,